Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Connecting to the big show. In three, two, one. I'm worried driving the car with Oakley and CT test. I'm not going to give this any more credence. I'm not going to let that person win. I will not be a victim. We have nothing to put the patient onto, so they're safer on an ambulance trolley. What I did in the morning, TJ, is crack. It's like yelling. Join the conversation. Call 0818 96 96 96. Extra WhatsApp 083 396 96 96. Email opinion at 96fm.ie. This is the Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Ports 96FM. Well, good morning, good morning, good morning. It's wonderful to be back with you. It's a beautiful morning here in Cork City and I think city, county, most of the country today uh, enjoying weather that they might have liked in Crow Park yesterday but that was quite the opposite but uh, what a brilliant, brilliant win it was for Limerick Um, I thought Kilkenny might beat them at one stage but then typically uh, the Limerick boys came back with a hammering in the second half we'll talk more about that later lots to chat to you about this is Gareth O'Callaghan PJ is away for a couple of weeks uh, enjoying a well-earned break and I would imagine he's on he's on a sun lounger I'd say secretly sipping a cocktail at this stage I'm not sure where he is but he's not in Greece anyway that's the the good news this morning um if you are in Greece, if you're in Rhodes, if uh, you're in any of the affected areas, if you've been looking at the news over the last 24 hours, it hasn't gone away, I'm afraid. Irish tourists warned against travelling to parts of Greece affected by wildfires. If you're at the heart of it, or if you're close to it, or you know someone who's there, can you please maybe get in touch with them and get them to get in touch with us? We would love to hear from them just to know how they are. What conditions are like on the ground? Um, many of the newspapers and the social media outlets this morning describing it as hell. And looking at the photographs, there's a photograph um, in the Irish Examiner this morning. Wildfires burning on the Greek island of Rhodes forced authorities to order an evacuation of thousands of people. Many have been housed at hotels, indoor stadiums, school buildings and conference centres. Heat waves are expected to persist in a large part of the world throughout August, an advisor on extreme heat said on Friday, following on from record temperatures in recent weeks. So uh, that's from the examiner, the front page of the Sun newspaper, huge photograph of literally uh, an island on fire, hot as Hades. Hades uh, or Hades is the Greek mythology uh, for hell. And uh, Irish tourists flee raging wildfires on burning Greek island of Rhodes, escape from hell 
is the headline there. So if you would like to comment this morning, you can give us a shout. Uh, usual text number, of course, 083. Uh, let me think. Uh, hang on. We'll get, we'll get it for you in a moment. There it is. It's 083 396 I'll settle in in a couple of minutes. 083 396 That's the WhatsApp for your voice notes and for your text messages this, this morning. So that's uh, something we'll come back to in a moment. Uh, Rhodes Wildfire is certainly captivating all of the international stories today. Rhodes, by the way, if you don't know where Rhodes is, Rhodes is east-southeast of the main Greek mainland. It's one of the most beautiful, beautiful islands in uh, in the world, I would imagine. It's certainly on my bucket list. But I'd be interested to know, would what's happening on the island of Rhodes put you off going to these locations? Because it doesn't look as if things are going to improve in the future. Uh, we're going to go to hotter holiday destinations from an island here that's going to get wetter and warmer during the summer. So I'd like to hear what you what you think about what's happening. Would would it put you off going? Are you there already? Let us know. 083 396 9696. Now, um, locally, it's been a very, very busy weekend in terms of, uh, of news. And if you are following the story on Friday, as you know, a man was arrested on the Dublin to Cork train, the 7 o'clock express. Uh, apparently, a number of people on the train noticed and observed that he was carrying a firearm. And Mairead Tuhig is joining me right now in relation to this story. What do we know at this stage? He was arrested, Mairead, wasn't he? He was, Gareth, yeah. So he was arrested and he is due in court this morning at 10.30 in Nenang County Tipperary. So as you say, this was on uh, Friday evening and it happened on a train near Temple Moor. Now, passengers had alerted Gardaí that a man was on the train with what appeared to be a gun. And when Gardaí got on, they stormed the carriage and... And they searched the man. They identified him, searched him, and they found what's believed to be an imitation firearm. Now, he's a man in his 20s. He was arrested at the scene. He's taken for questioning. And as they say, he is appearing uh, in court before Nina District Court this morning um, at 10.30 a.m. Now, involved in, in this, um, I suppose, local uniform and plain clothes guard, they initially attended the scene and they were assisted by the Regional Armed Support Unit. And as I say, they stormed the train uh, following those reports and identified the man, searched him and, and they did find uh, what they believe to be an imitation firearm. Now that's subject to uh, a technical examination as is the case with, with incidents like this one. This has never happened on a, an Irish train before, has it? It's really frightening, you know, and yeah. I was thinking about even the timing of the train, you know, you're probably people who might be, you know, working in Dublin, living in Cork, you know, on Friday evening, you're coming home uh, for your weekend and, and this unfolds around you. It's something, I suppose, as you say, that's never, you know, we'd never seen or heard the likes of it. It's almost like a movie set event thing, you know, to see the train stopping uh, just outside Temple Moor and, and Gardaí swarming it and uh, it must have been a really frightening situation for, for anyone uh, who was on board that train. Back in the 1970s, some listeners might remember the Bader Meinhof group in Holland and Belgium. And I'll always remember that scene on television where the express train was stopped, uh, literally stationary in the middle of open countryside and uh, the local police storming the train. Something similar happened on Friday. They stopped the train outside of Temple Moor because I understand Gardaí were afraid that if the train stopped in Temple Moor that uh, people might start getting off the train or it could be a more difficult situation to control. 
This is it. And I suppose they had to react when they did receive these reports. And, you know, as, as you say, if they stopped at a station, that there was there was probably uh, a situation could, I suppose, intensify in those moments. So they, yeah, they stopped the train outside and uh, outside the train station and they did storm the carriage and they did arrest uh, this man. And as I say, he will appear before the courts at 10.30 and there's every chance that more information, I suppose, in relation to this incident uh, might become uh, known throughout the afternoon today. Mm. So, if uh, by the way, if you were on the train, it was the Friday evening express, the 7 o'clock evening, Dublin-Houston getting into Cork-Kent at 9.35. It's one of the busiest trains of the week, that and the 5 o'clock train on a Friday. Uh, if you can even get standing room on the Friday 7 o'clock train, uh, you're pretty lucky if you haven't booked a ticket. So, clearly, it would have been a packed train if you noticed what was happening if you saw the Gardaí arriving at the point just outside Templemore Railway Station. Let us know um, what the mood was like on the train. 83 96 Now, Mairead, another story has sort of gradually gathered speed here, and this is the missing Roisin scam. Um, this is Help Us Write a Happy Ending. Basically, this teenager, an example of... Spam stories, by the way, usually... They're what they call phishing experiences where people try to draw you into giving away your details, your private details online. But this is, while it's a heartless one, it's a very, very clever one. Can you tell me a bit about it? It is, yeah. So it's it's online community pages. So you'd see them often for, you know, local communities with, say, around Cork, you know, the likes of, you know, Douglas and Cove Facebook pages. And what's starting to appear is these bogus missing person reports. But what they are, they're kind of, there's a picture and it's it, there's a link surrounding it. And people are kind of being asked to, to click on the link to, to help find uh, this this poor missing person uh, Roisin Kelly is the name that's being used but it's actually a bogus link and what's happening is when people click on the story to read about the teenager and it's usually named Roisin Kelly there could be you know other names as well and you're being told that they've been they're missing in your local town so the link is they're really clever in the way they do this they make the link really specific to your place and your local area so you know you're even more convinced that I need to click on this to see what's happening but once you click on it then it, it allows uh, the, the hackers to take control of your Facebook page and they're able to gain access to your personal details so it's really targeting you know good hearted people people who really want to help out but it's actually um, a malicious uh, phishing link that's catching people out now the fake website link you know it's often shared by the hacked pages of others who've fallen victim to the scam and it's being shared on these community pages but the trick here is that the comments are being turned off um, and it's Cork BO have this story up so the comments feature is turned off so it then means that like you know let's say I share it and you can't comment to warn other people so then mm. they click on it and there's no way of, of warning others so that everyone doesn't get caught out so they have uh, they've shared some tips and tricks on you know if you are kind of concerned you know about a link before you do click on it just check you know are the comments turned off who did share the post you know was it posted in a local community page or a buy and sell a trade group and look at the preview of the link you know check is it from a reputable news or an official source so there's some tips and tricks there because it is really catching people out and you know a lot of kind hearted people who want to help out in these situations but it is in fact uh, scammers who are behind this and they're preying on the most vulnerable people people with a heart people who want to help they really are yeah, yeah. and you know like there's I suppose the, there's the example of the, the missing girl but there's also you know a lot of scams out there you know it could be like missing children injured dogs contests you know take part in competitions we've seen them all and there's, there's they're just up to no good these scammers and I suppose it's 
it's it's unfortunate they're they're getting clever all the time and they're constantly mm. finding new ways uh, to catch people out. So it's just wise to be to be really careful and uh, keep an eye out for those you know tips and tricks. This young girl called Roisin Kelly in the scam and her family say that she has apparently fallen into the hands of a criminal. This is actually. A very, very famous young woman, isn't it? It the, is, yeah. yeah. It's a, it's a, the influencer, Sophia Burlam. Uh, it's an, she's an American social media star. She's got over like a million Instagram followers. She's on TikTok and, and as I say, on Instagram. So it's a picture of her is actually the picture uh, on this, this fake article um, that people are clicking into. So it's completely fake. And yeah, that, that she's fallen into the hands of a criminal. So even that alone, people would want to click in and have a read and see what's happened and, you know, realise then that, that they've been caught out. So it's really unfortunate and as they say the, the scammers are constantly working to, to better their enterprise even though it might be a, a bad one but they're, they're constantly um, picking up and getting clever so it's just it's, you just have to be so careful these days on social media because there's so many out there yeah Mairead thank you for chatting to thank us this you, morning thank you Gareth have a good week thank you that's uh, Mairead Tuhig there from our newsroom now uh, by the way this is this has really gathered legs at this stage so please be very careful also some advice in relation to scamming please change your passwords on your social media platforms your Facebook your Instagram and your Twitter as regularly as you need to okay um, I heard somebody over the weekend saying that uh, the, they have a simple password because they can't remember the more complicated ones write them down and put them somewhere safe that's the best advice I can possibly give you there now once again that number if you want to text us or whatsapp us is 083 396 96 96 the email address if you'd like to drop us a line is opinion at 96fm.ie Monday morning 24th of July if you're just back from holidays or maybe you're packing to head off I hope you're in good form today beautiful sunshine around Cork City and County to start the week and it's Gareth O'Callaghan in for PJ who's away for the next two weeks 083 396 96 96 for texts and uh, whatsapps now um, we regularly get the early train on a Saturday morning the 5.45 to Dublin and I noticed over the last few weeks that the the little buffet trolley well it's not quite a buffet like <laughs> you know you kind of use your imagination at that hour of the morning they do sandwiches and they do things like you know packets of pastilles and cups of coffee and that kind of thing obviously alcohol is now um, Irish Whale have distanced themselves it's now illegal to drink on the trains here in Ireland but one thing I noticed while we paid by card to have a coffee and a tea over the last couple of weekends uh, a couple of passengers on the train were taking the fivers out and taking the tenors out of their wallets and they were being told by um, what would you call them the purser that uh, they weren't accepting cash anymore and uh, something similar prompted a call from Kevin morning to you Kevin hello hello can you hear me yes I can can you hear me you can I can indeed I can indeed yeah I was on the, the Dublin cock train and I take medication because I had a stroke 10 years ago and I just uh, I had cash and I asked for a, a bottle of water and she said sorry we don't take cash I think that's terrible and did you explain you know? to her it was for medication I didn't explain it for medication because I better cure on that. I'm enjoying an organisation called Headway. Right. And Jackie meets us and meets us on Thursday. And I said, better than me complaining to her, I said to Jackie. So Jackie rang up the train station, uh, Irish Rail, and this night she explained the case that Kevin Connors had medication, he wanted a bottle of water and they wouldn't accept cash. So they put on hold 
and you don't mess with Jackie. Like they put her on hold and this and that. And next night after a few minutes, the, the phone went dead. It went, and that's a, she said, I'll fix that. She said, and she rang 96 FM. So that's why I'm on the radio today. Mm-hmm. They explained that I don't have a card, never had a card, never will have a card. I have cash and I always was told cash is king. Mm-hmm. But Obviously, cash isn't me. I don't have a curb, and lots of people don't have a curb. I'm with Ed Reno, and there's a fellow Jim from Mitchestown. He said, Kevin, I don't have a curb. So, I couldn't get a bottle of water to take my medication, but that's beside the point. If I wanted anything else, a cup of coffee, I just couldn't. They wouldn't accept cash. And can I ask you, Kevin, you use cash everywhere you go, do you? Everywhere I go. I haven't got a card. I wouldn't afford I'm on disability loans. I wouldn't be afford to have a card. I would have a card for I can only barely hold on to what I get every week, you know? Yeah, so if you're on a disability allowance, you're on about €230 a week, am I right? 220 220 So, yeah, it, it kind of, it, it doesn't really, it doesn't really make any sense to have a card if you have the cash. I, I, I wouldn't, I, first of all, I, exactly, why would I have a card if I haven't got the cash? And we'll come back to the, the train in a moment, but have you found any, any other locations like shops or supermarkets that don't accept cash? I haven't. The only place, if I, on the plane, very, very regular, they don't accept cash on the plane. But apart from that, no, I didn't. I'm just surprised, like, Irish Rail, like, you know what I mean? It's it's for, and I use my cards to get on Irish Rail. Don't get me wrong, it's fantastic. I have disability card, you know? The free travel, but, yeah. Yeah, and uh, it's just as I said, I, I couldn't believe it. I couldn't believe it. Like, it, 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 it stood, like they should accept cash, of course. And there's more people like me, and there's all the people that don't have cards. There's a lot of people on the train that don't have cards. I presume. How do you book? How do, how do you book your ticket for the train if you don't have a card? I, I, you can book it online. I get help. Yeah, I get help online, and sometimes I don't. I didn't actually book the train that time. You can get on with your card and just hop on with your card. And you don't have to book the train, but obviously if it's full, you would have to book it, pre-book it. But I don't, I guess probably on the coital trains, I don't know, but um, you can book it online with help, you know. But I, I guess somebody helped me. I have three sons myself and I get help, complete help for friends and everything else, you know. And when when you said to the the, the person on the train that you didn't have a card, what was their reaction? I said to them, they're kind of useless, mm-hmm. you know, they didn't make any big deal of it, but I did. I said, listen, you know, I said, I only wanted a bottle of water to take my medication, but that's only an example. So if I wanted something else, if I wanted a cup of coffee, a bag of potatoes or anything else, I couldn't get it because I haven't got a card. I had, I had yeah. cash in my pocket. Yeah. And I, you know... And I always had cash is king, but I don't know. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Well, I, I yeah, I, 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 it's, it's interesting. I take the train all the time, you know, when I'm traveling between Cork and Dublin, because it's just yes. such a wonderful service. We're blessed it's to fantastic. have. Fantastic. Absolutely uh, fantastic. Service. But I, I, I have kind of looked into this, and I was talking to someone from Irish Rail only last week about this, and he said yeah. that they're, yeah. not, they're not going back to cash, because it's, first of all, if you have a very busy train and you have an individual, trying to count out change yeah. and you yeah. know trying to serve teas and coffees and sandwiches but also there's a security issue here because uh, you know cash cash is easy to steal 
Yes. Um, you know, particularly if the cash is there and, you know, this individual is wearing a, a belt bag with cash in it yeah. or wherever it might be. Yeah. So I, I think that they're, they're trying to overcome these issues by simply stating it's, it's card or nothing. Yeah, but someone told me as well that, that if they use a card, they're on commission. Uh, well, I don't know about that. I, well, I, uh, yeah, I, I was told now by a good source yeah. that they're on commission. You know, be a couple of cents or whatever it costs, but if you use a card, they get commission for using the card. And that's well, I, I, don't think, I don't think the staff the, the staff would be oh, no, on not commission. The staff, not yeah. the staff, no. Not I think staff, Irish no. Rail have tendered out the whole catering yeah. thing anyway. Yeah, so, well, exactly. They're, they're making number. As well, yeah. I always thought cash was king. Obviously, cash isn't king. You know, so... Mm. I, I can't, I can't buy on the train even if I want to, because I can't, because I haven't got a card. Okay. Well, I'm, and there's uh, lots of people like me. Yeah. There, you know, there is lots of people like me, mm. you know? I, I agree with you, and it would be handy to be able to use your cash on the train, particularly. Of course it would. Yeah. Of course it would. Even, I don't know, <laughs> I suppose they can make exceptions, but at the same time, like, you know? Yeah. I, think I don't have a card, so I can never buy anything on the train, because I don't have a card. I, you know, I, I have no business with a card, really, because... You know, when you're on disability lounge, you wouldn't have enough. Yeah. Would you Just bring Would you bring a bottle of water with you in future, maybe? I will. Yeah. I will I the next time. 100%. That's the lesson yeah, learned. The lesson learned. Yeah, 100%. Okay. You know? Kevin, nice to chat to you. Thank you. Yeah, and thank you. And thanks, 96 FM. We'll be last with autumn. Thank you very much. Thank you. That's okay. Kevin Connor right. there. Um, if you have a similar problem, if you want to get in touch to this, 083 96 Now, Retained firefighters are to resume strike action this coming Wednesday after voting to reject a Labour Court recommendation aimed at resolving a dispute over pay and conditions. Jonathan Madden is a retained firefighter based in Mallow and he's on the line now. Morning to you, Jonathan. Uh, good morning, Garrett. How are you? I'm, are you I'm Grant. I'm, I'm much better, thank you. Thanks to you guys. Back yes, to the 12th yes. of March. Um, I, I was following your, um, your... I just looked back at a few clips there, just to, back in March, that was, yeah. uh, I think, was it? Yeah, yeah, 19, yeah look, I suppose. 19 weeks yesterday, and, and it's it's with great gratitude to the firefighters in Anglesey Street that um, I'm still sitting here chatting this morning, so thanks to all of them. Uh, uh, very good, I hope, you're, I hope you're feeling better. Yeah, look, I suppose we, 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 I'm based in Mallow, so we we work an awful lot with the lads in Angsty Street on the on the Cork Road and the north side of the city and stuff like that. So we're well used to them, you know. But like I suppose the retained system. You there, John? Where how it works, or, or would, would now, you be aware? Now, this is interesting because yeah. I, I once again I only had this conversation last week with a friend of mine. The, if if I understand it correctly, you are retained by the fire station that employs you, and you basically are are paid according to the work you do with the fire fire station. Isn't that the case? Uh, that's kind of. Cr- Correct, yeah. You get what's known as a retainer. Um, it works out at really about 99 cent uh, an hour. Um, it's it's increased. The new, the new increase they gave us with all the, the percentages, it basically works out at about 1 euro 34 an hour. And you'll be working um, 365 days a year, you're 20 day, 28 days holidays, you know. Um, so you're, you're on call for that station. Basically, it's like COVID. You can leave the town. You can leave the 2.5 kilometers of the town. And are you are you based in the fire station during that time, or are you no, at home? No, you're you're, at home? You're, you 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 carry your own. What's like a, it's it's like a mobile phone, but it's a pager on the side of your your pants pocket. Um, this will activate through when someone rings, like the day of your accident. Obviously, someone will ring, and the control centre in Munster, based out of Limerick, 
we'll allocate the call to the to the correct station. So if you say you had an accident on the N20, uh, Mallow Fire Brigade will be alerted and, and probably Cork City coming from the other side then if it's closer to Cork side, you know. And the beepers go off, basically. You could be at home, inside in bed, in the shower, shopping downtown, and you have five minutes to get to the fire station and the truck has to be in the road within five minutes and you have to be on your way to the call. So that's the difference between the retained. The full-time lads are based in Angsty Street. They're waiting for the call. So they, they, they're on the road in less than a minute um, and we're on the road in between five and six minutes depending on the towns and stuff. You're in traffic and everything else, you know. So this is like the lifeboat, isn't it? Really, you, you, you're exactly, you're, yeah, you're exactly. Beat. It's exactly yeah. the same, exactly. And we're we're paid a retainer then to be on call, um, and then you're paid per call you attend. But like each station can be different. Like Mallow would attend over two hundred calls a year. Another station might attend a hundred. Another station might attend fifty. But the people in the stations with the fifty still give the same commitment, and the only guaranteed income they are is their retainer. And this is where the problem has arose in the last ten years. We just can't get people interested in the job and I suppose this is why we're going out again on Wednesday unfortunately the, the new deal wasn't attractive enough for the, the younger people coming in to come in to sustain a mortgage and sustain employment in the fire service we've had campaign after campaign and, and no one is interested in joining um, I'm 23 years here there's a couple of other lads with 15 and 10 and everyone after that is 5 years and I, I don't know will we ever see you know it's getting harder and harder so I don't know where the future lies you know How How many how many firefighters are in Mallow Station right now? Um, we Right now, at the moment, there's actually seven of us on now today. There should be 12, but we only have nine. But we have two lads on annual leave. Um, and that's 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 the thing. The, everyone that's on now in the seven are probably tied to the town for the next two weeks before they can take any anyone get annual leave because we're so understaffed, you know? So effectively, you can only take one fire tender out if anything happens. But we are, we can just take one tender out, yeah, and we'd be backed up from another another station nearby or in a different area, depending where the call is, you know. And um, when you but, consider the population of Mallow is twelve and a half thousand. Yeah, it's 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 a big town, and like we, as I said to you, we do between two hundred and three hundred calls. I think last year we did two hundred and eighty three calls. And um, one week there, about two weeks ago, we had seventeen calls in the week, and I think we had eight staff on for that. Um, substantial big calls in that now, where we had to get back up from other stations. But it's just, it's just where is it going to end? You know, it's not attractive. It's not enticing enough. Employment is very high, I suppose, at the moment. Um, when I joined the job twenty three years ago, there was over twenty people in for the interview. The last interview that was held here, the person didn't even turn up for the interview. There was only one person, you know. Um, we've had open days. We've had campaigns and campaigns. And it's just, it's, it's not just unique to Cork, uh, Gareth. It's across the whole country. Um, this is a countrywide thing. Uh, I'm involved in SIP2 for a long time. And we're all singing off the, hymn sheet, the same hymn sheet across the country. They've, they, there's 300, over 350 vacancies across the country at the moment. And the new document they brought out says that they're going to create 400 extra jobs. So that's 700, between 700. 5,800 people they're looking for we can't even get three people to fill jobs here so I don't know how they're they're not going to get it on the basis of what they're offering you know You voted to reject the Labour Court recommendation isn't that true? We did yeah, yeah. Over, over 80% of a rejection because it, it didn't really go far enough with, with the retainer which is the only guaranteed income because you're paid the retainer to be on call you never know when you're going to get the next call look I'm talking to you here now I was talking to a girl the other day giving you an interview I only came off the phone from her and I got a call but like you never know when you're going to get a call so you have to be available and for, for one year or 33 an hour 
your life stops. My family are actually on holidays now today and tomorrow, and I, I can't be with them because we don't have enough staff, you know. Um, so I, I have to basically be around, and that, that applies to all the other staff I have. They, they've sacrificed a lot, you know, and, and across the county of Cork, you know. People are sacrificing and giving a lot uh, that people don't realise. Like, we're highly trained. Um, we do nine weeks training when you start as a firefighter. We attend medical calls with the ambulance. You saw yourself firsthand at the, at the road traffic accident you were at. Ourselves, the National Ambulance Service, the Gardaí, we're out on the road every day of the week working together, vital service services you know and highly skilled highly trained we're like the we can deal with everything and anything you know and you're getting one euro 33 an hour roughly that's what it breaks down to that's your only guaranteed income obviously if you attend calls you get paid more and training and drills but you never know what call unfortunately look you, you never want to call but unfortunately you never know when the next call is coming in and I'm sure look you 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 set off your morning uh, that you had the accident um you never thought you'd come across what happened to you, you know. Um, so that's kind of how, you know, we, we never know how we're going to see every day, you know, every week, you know. Well, I know for a fact that if if the three fire tenders uh, attended the four-car collision on Horgan's Quay that day in March that we were involved in our own car, um, if, if they hadn't cut the roof off the car, chances are I would have died. Yes, that's it. And in fairness, um, the lads, as I said to you, would yeah. be we're as highly trained. We're all trained the same level, and that's that's the thing. We often meet the city. We all work away together. We all know our, we're all the same level. We just get on. We do our job. If it's a two car accident, the city might look after one car. We look after the other car. Fantastic group of people. We get on very well with them. But they know exactly what to do. So the first thing you'll do as an officer is you'll go and you meet the paramedic that's there, and you discuss the plan with them, and they'll say, "Look, we need to take the roof off." Because we're very concerned for this man's back or his neck and off you go you get to business you know you try to stop the movement to the car you, you manage the glass the airbags the pretensioners there's so much there's so much risk there has to be managed to make sure that you're safe and also the rescuers are safe the airbag don't go off and hurt someone in, in, in the US a lot of a lot of firefighters have been killed by airbags deploying uh, in, in cars after traffic accidents you know and then they manage to get you out as you said and uh, you're grateful for them and uh, thank God you're you're back here again on the airwaves and everything is good but I'm sure it was a traumatic incident for you in general you know yeah and, and this is something I just can't get over you're putting your life at risk uh, for one euro thirty three an hour. Now I know there's a whole lot more that, that that you believe in that makes you want to be a firefighter, but but when you consider that a TD salary starts at one hundred and twenty seven thousand a year, yeah, it, it's just it's, and they're on it's holidays at the moment like, for three months. And exactly, exactly, they're on holidays for three months. And the thing is, like it's um. Before, I suppose, a lot of people had jobs. Uh, when you were a firefighter, you were able to get a job, employment in the towns, and they were small. But Mallow, no one will employ you because it's too busy. It's two hundred, it's three hundred calls a year. You're going to be out the door every five minutes, and uh, and like even the local authorities are slow to employ people, which are we're we're employed by the local authorities, you know. Yeah. So they won't take you on either, and they're out selling their they're selling it to the public that you, you should leave someone go for the fire service. Now we have a couple of people employed here locally and, and I'm very grateful for their employers um, you know and it's very good just, but like a lot of us you just can't get it because no you're, you're gone out the door too much and, and it's not fair and them running a business I suppose you know so that's what we're kind of saying across the whole country. Um, the fire service has just grown I suppose if you go back 
if you go back 50 years ago or more, like it was just fires. Now it's it's road traffic accidents, yeah. river rescues, RT, you know, ambulance assists, uh, assisting the Gardaí, you know, traffic spills of oil on the road, trees down. You know, it's just multiples and multiple, multiples of calls um, because the demand is greater on the service because the towns have grown. But, you know, towns are struggling then to, to, to get the fire service to keep it going, you know. So um, that's the fear that we... We just don't know where it's going to end and how we're going to keep going and it's so understaffed, you know, yeah. and we can't entice the people in because it's not attractive enough up against the other jobs, you know, who's um, going to get out of their bed for in the middle of the night, you know. For one thirty-three an hour. And there's an interesting yeah. statistic there today in um, the newspapers in the Examiner. Uh, Cork City and County is now one of the top counties for fatal road traffic accidents uh, in the last Yeah, unfortunately... Yeah. Unfortunately, Gareth, yeah, it is. I've 23 years in my service and, and there has been numerous years where we've had, possibly in my own area here, six to seven fatalities in a year. You know, it's a lot of traffic accidents. It's the, you know, the motorway should be there long ago and, and it's something else that needs to be tackled, you know, um, as towns are growing. But um, as you spoke about earlier on, I was just listening to about the fires, the wildfires in road, you know, like down in West Cork there, back in March, April there, the lads did fantastic work when when the, the gore season was in full swing, there was fires throughout the west of, of Cork, you know, and... Um, it put tremendous pressure on the crews because you're already under-resourced, you know, you don't have enough staff. Yeah. And then you're very, very busy and they don't get any downtime, you know. Um, well, particularly the, when you're looking at changing. Like the, the Barra Peninsula. I mean, how how you cope That's with those fires out That's there it. with the, the, the level of, of equipment and, and also the level of personnel at this stage. It's just, it's... Um, it, it begs belief, but we'll keep we'll continue to support you all, Jonathan, and and have a safe. Thank you, thank you very much week. for t- taking the time on the air. Yeah, great. To and talk and to look you. after yourself, and, and speak. Thank God you're recovered well. Thank God. Thanks, thank William. You. Take care. Thank you, Jonathan. Bye-bye. Um, Bye-bye. Based with um, Mallow Fire Brigade, and uh, to all of the firefighters around Cork City and County, have a, a safe week this week. Gareth O'Callaghan here for PJ for the next couple of weeks. We were chatting there to Jonathan Madden from Mallow Fire Station, talking about the retained firefighters' ongoing uh, strike action threats and the fact that they rejected a Labour Court recommendation recently, and there's more to happen, I would imagine, in the next few days. And uh, Jonathan made the point, I made the point that, you know, being on a retainer basically is a little bit similar to the way the lifeboat works. But Mary, you make a very good point, don't you? Good morning. Hello, um, Gad. I was just kind of, when I heard that, like, it, like these the lifeboats, I've never heard of them having problem, and they do it purely voluntary. There's yeah. no retainer. That's right. Yeah, like, you, so you, you volunteer for it, and you literally, uh, you know, you've got... Once and again, I'm you've, sorry, like, yeah. you hear of them being called out at two in the morning to go out into the middle of the... Like, I mean, I'd rather get on a fire brigade any day of the week. Yeah. <laughs> sorry, like, just personally. Yeah. Like, the level of danger... Is, be, you know, for yeah. uh, you know, just anyway. But it was just a point, like kind of thing. Yeah. Now I do appreciate, like that. The, you know what I mean? These people, like kind of thing, and the call and the service. There is nobody disputing the service they provide. But like, there's also, you know, like the the whole work from home thing, the whole COVID thing that has changed the, you know, the the work mm. kind of arrangements for everybody and if they harness something like that like what if they had one of these kind of working hubs you know these these hubs that people can do their work from home they have digital hubs in places maybe where broadband wouldn't be great to enable people work from home instead of travelling to their place of you know yeah. people well, that w- live in more remote areas say yeah. like kind of thing you know that where the broadband wouldn't be great and working from home is 
an issue for them. They can work near home instead of from home, if you like, instead of commuting into Dublin, say, or something like that. Like, it would make sense to have one of those maybe near a fire station yeah. for people who, you know, could get the benefit of having been able to do their work from home and be on call at the same time. You know, there's... Yeah. I suppose the, the whole work kind of... That's one of the things about the retainer kind of firefighter situation yeah. is that the industrial action's being caused, but one clause is that they can't do any more work while they are a, a firefighter retainer. They're retained by they the can, it says, it's, uh, No, I read the article on it on the Irish Times. It said two-thirds of them are in other employment to supplement it. It's not their sole employment. Yeah, I think that's another conflicting issue that they're trying to sort out as well at the moment. But thank you for your point about the lifeboats, okay. Mary. Perfect. Lovely to talk okay, to you. Okay, no you. problem. Thank you. Thank bye. you. Now, as I mentioned at nine o'clock, the Department of Foreign Affairs here has warned against travelling to areas in Greece affected by wildfires as thousands of tourists and residents on the beautiful island of Rhodes were forced to shelter in schools and indoor stadiums last night after they were evacuated from coastal villages and resorts. And uh, Owen Curry, travel commentator with Air and Travel Magazine joins me now. Good morning, Owen. Just reading a couple of the, the, the pieces in some of the social media platforms and in the newspapers today, one mother was forced to flee roads at the weekend as fierce wildfires ripped through the Greek holiday island. She said she experienced hell on earth and officials on the island which sits southwest of Turkey. I was saying that uh, if you look at the, the, the mainland of Greece in the Aegean Sea, roads, which I think is the 12th biggest island in that whole area would sit east southeast and it's one of the most beautiful holiday experiences but this year as you know it has turned into a, a form of hell good morning Garrett. it's always a joy to hear your voice i could hear the, your dulcet tones <laughs> you. man. <laughs> thank you you're a busy man at the moment and i know uh, we had to get in the queue because you've been up since about five o'clock this morning <laughs> Um, what te- what is it like there at the moment in Rhodes? Now I know Rhodes isn't the only uh, the, the only area, but it seems to be the epicenter of this climate disaster at the moment. Yeah, we've a, a huge heat wave which has been discomforting people for over a week. Uh, we've wildfires in several locations, uh, but Rhodes is the most dramatic. Now it's impacting. The local population, uh, 19,000 evacuations, the sort of uh, uh, tremendous, uh, upsetting and difficult conditions that people are in. That is impacting local population. The impact on tourism is quite small. Uh, It's um, probably a bit of a drama. It's getting good headlines and things like that. But the reality is that um, there are some English tourists uh, who've been uh, moved uh, and there's very little impact on Irish tourism. Uh, that's not to minimise what the uh, 19,000 or people who are displaced and losing their homes and all of that. Uh, that's going. They're going through the horror they're going through at the moment. Most of the wildfires are. Do I am I understanding it correctly? On the south of the island, the north of the island is a completely different country. Almost this morning. Garrett, the way technology is nowadays, Google Maps now have the location of the wildfires up so everybody can track exactly where they are, but you're absolutely right. Listeners will be familiar with places like Salamaki Oysters Resort, which was very popular in the 80s. Um, they, it's a an hour and a half drive to where the wildfire is. They uh, basically start 
tourists go and we don't have these about 700 tourists on the island at the moment. The reason that the numbers are a little bit lower than they would have been had this happened 20 years ago is the number of flights. And we have two uh, flights a week from Dublin and three flights a week from Belfast and that's the sum of it. So the number of Irish tourists is always going to be quite small that are out there and they're not going to be, as you say, anywhere near the fire. Uh, there have been other countries, uh, Belgium and Britain, where the tourists have, uh, were stationed closer to the fire, and some of the English tour companies have been cancelling flights. The nature of broadcasting in Ireland is that uh, you know we have everyone will watch a Sky News, so it's it seems a bigger drama for the tourist experience. Um, it is. It's. And I keep repeating, it's not the minimized scale of the disaster for the local population. So, uh, I'm just, I'm curious to know, I hear Ryanair are still flying to the island, aren't they, as of today? Ryanair's flight from Dublin is still scheduled tomorrow. It's likely to take off because there are people who have to come home. Uh, they're operating all their schedule. They have people to get home. Uh, even EasyJet, who are not taking people out, are bringing people home. But um, the Ryanair statement was very important is that the people getting on in roads who haven't been able to gather their passports have had to evacuate quickly. That was a situation in one of the hotels. will be allowed on board without ID. Listeners will need no introduction as to how unforgiving Ryanair are if you mm. come up with an out-of-date passport or with a child who hasn't got their passport yet, not letting you on board. There is a Greek ministry desk in roads uh, for people who've lost documentation. As I say, big, uh, bit academic from the Irish experience. We've had nobody being evacuated in a hurry, but that has certainly been the case. Ryanair, a big international airline, and they will, it's mainly, I'd say, concerned the flights. Can I, on a, a more general basis, this it brings up the whole argument of booking through a bonded travel agent and planning an internet holiday yourself at home. Um, are you more protected in a situation like this in terms of safety and security if you booked with a travel agent or in a case like this on the south of the island, has all that gone out the window? Two, uh, two things there. Of course, you're more protected in terms of money lost, all of that. The reality, though, Gareth, is you have no absolute right to cancel because of these waves. Uh, they, until the Department of Foreign Affairs says uh, you can't go there, and remember, all they've said is don't go into the area. That's not worth anything in terms of your rights uh, from getting your full money back from a flight that you've decided not to take. So there is another thing, though, that's really probably less set in stone and less uh, regulated in that a lot of people are going to travel agents in the heat wave and saying, I need to change the date. If you do that with an airline, if you book directly with an airline, they start say, take you, oh yeah, we're happy to change the date, but take your credit card out. Uh, you get a simp- more sympathetic ear from the travel agent. They're always interested in repeat business. Uh, there's a huge uh, tradition of f- uh, family-run uh, travel agents in the Cork, in County Cork, mm. uh, who have long-standing relationship with their clients. That's where the relationship really matters. You have an elderly grandfather or a young child, and you say, we don't want to go into 44 degrees of heat can you get another date for us very hard to do it when you book direct when you've got a travel agent you don't have an absolute right to it don't come back to me saying uh, Owen Curry said you had an absolute right to it but that's where you get the sympathetic ear 
just leaving roads aside for the moment, Owen, what what are conditions going to be like, do you know, over the next couple of weeks? Along, you know, the Costa del Sol, the Costa Dorada, Portugal, um, Albufeira, along, out towards Villamora. What, what, what can we expect? Is it that warm out there at the moment? Um, Spain is dating. You remember Portugal didn't get the heat wave in the first place. Mm-hmm. If you take your leaving cert to the compass that you had used with your leaving cert, Gareth, and put it in Cyprus and draw an arc, it's starting Gibraltar, go through um, just below Paris, the Alps where the heat wave was. The uh, western side of that is a basin Spain. The big temperatures were recorded by Ebro Valley, places like that, but they were quite high in the Balearics. Um, Italy and Greece still suffering a little bit. But you've got to remember, it's called the sun holiday and people go to places like Dubai where 44 degrees is the norm. 44 degrees is a bit of a drama in Greece, but not in some of the other places Irish people go on holidays. Yeah, and I think it was 2000 and Five, I think we had the hottest summer here. I think temperatures in Roscommon at the meteorology station there, 33 degrees it hit, and we thought that was sweltering. Uh, yeah, uh, it's, um, you know, it, it, you have to be careful wedding, uh, you know, linking individual weather events with climate. What people like the Climate Unit and Middle College are doing is looking at the extremes and looking at the frequencies. And that's where uh, the evidence is gathered about climate change. Um, but you're absolutely right. The, the, it's, we're better measuring it now, but the uh, number of heat waves and the extremities of the temperatures are certainly like something that hasn't been recorded before. Mm. Oh, and always great to talk to you. Take care. Always Have a, good a great day. pleasure, Gareth. Thank you very much. Thank you. Owen Curry there from Air and Travel Magazine. Our number is 083 396 96 96. If you're in Rhodes and you're sitting by the pool and you're thinking, what's all the fuss about? We'd like to hear from you, please. WhatsApp us. We'll give you a call. We'd love to hear from what your point of view is. Good. Good morning to you and welcome to the second hour. It's Gareth O'Callaghan here for PJ, who's away for a couple of weeks and a day. So I'll be with you the whole way through to uh, Wednesday, two weeks. And I uh, hope he's chilled out. I know he was uh, he was heading away yesterday, uh, hopefully sipping something nice and cool by the pool. 083 396 is our text number and WhatsApp number. I was chatting to Jonathan Madden, who's a retained firefighter with Mallow Fire Brigade there just between 9 and 10. Very interesting conversation, interesting insight into to the Labour Court um, interactions and, you know, the fact that they have no choice but to resume strike action this coming Wednesday because they voted to reject a Labour Court recommendation. 80% of the firefighters all over the country have chosen to reject it. Um, he, he was saying there, and it was interesting, he said that they advertised for firefighters in Mallow. They got one response. There was one application. And I was surprised at that, but then I'm not surprised because if you go in and have a look, it's not just an application form, it's a booklet. And you have to read the booklet thoroughly before you actually fill in the application form, which will take you probably a few days to fill in. The specs are off the record, but they have to be. Uh, Paula says, it's near impossible to get through the application form alone for the fire service, never mind getting an interview. Uh, Our son is dying to be a firefighter, but he can't get a leg in to achieve that. And that's basically it. Uh, Obviously, you can't canvas at your local fire station in the hope that they might support your application. Uh, That will disqualify you. But when you look at the specs, the specifications... Off the record, you've got to be extremely athletic to the point of view where you can run a marathon. You've got to go to the gym five days a week. You've got to be a very, very accomplished swimmer. Um, If you have asthma, don't even bother applying. You won't get through. Uh, 
There are a number of other health conditions as well that you need to check out. But then also, on top of the vocation of being a firefighter, you end up becoming a paramedic. So effectively, you are the, as it were, middle man or middle woman between the car crash and the actual A&E. So they're already performing first aid at a very, very intense level, administering painkillers, uh, looking after blood pressure, looking after the possibility of, of internal bleeding, heart attacks, all sorts of things. You imagine it, and the likelihood is that a firefighter at a road traffic collision has encountered it before. So that's why it's so difficult to get in. Uh, But it has to be that difficult because that's how intense the job is. And having visited Anglesey Street Fire Station to thank the guys in there on Greenwatch who made life, as it were, a second time round so much more appreciable for us on the 12th of March last. It was wonderful to see what goes on Amazing to see what goes on behind those closed doors of a very, very busy fire station. You can get in touch with us 083 396 96 96. Now, if you're a mom and dad, or maybe you're a gran or a granddad, you'll have had experience back in the past of potty training. And potty training for many parents, certainly young parents, uh, is a nightmare because if you have two or three children, you might find the first two took perfectly well to the potty, but the third one just finds it like something alien from another planet and doesn't want to touch it. And there can be a great sense of fear about learning how to pee, number one, and to do the number two. Emma dropped us an email. She said, I need your help and also from your listeners. My little daughter is almost three. She's a bright, fun-loving and happy child, but for some reason she has the absolute fear of doing her number two in the toilet. She's still in nappies, and while she's happy to pee in the toilet or into the potty, she will not do the other business in the toilet. I have tried everything, and she is just not budging. She's starting to get upset too, as she doesn't like having a dirty nappy, so she will hide behind the door to go. When she comes out, she'll say, Yucca caca. <laughs> a lot of heads out there just nodding and smiling. But even though she's conscious and does not like having a dirty nappy, she's still refusing point blank to go. She starts in ECCE in September, so I'll have to have her potty trained by then. Uh, but I really feel she's so ready now, but something is blocking her from going to the toilet. It's not like she's afraid of the toilet as she'll pee in it, no problem. Has anyone had this problem? Any advice on what to do? That's from Emma. Um, I'd say this is a global problem, to be honest with you. I have got Amanda Jenner on the line. She is a global potty training and toddler specialist, and you'll know her from uh, ITV television. Morning to you, Amanda. Good morning. This is a universal problem, isn't it? Yeah, it's absolute. Honestly, just listening to that, then it's just she's not an isolated case at all. I mean, it's huge. There's a huge problem with this. Lots of parents panicking at the moment because their kids are starting in September. So yeah, it's not an isolated case. This is very, very common. And what is it like? Emma talks about her daughter having this sort of mental block. It's almost like refusing point blank to go. Is it? kind of a is it an OCD thing or is it what is it because I one thing I do remember during COVID and I'm sure you remember it there as well that the one thing all supermarkets were sold out of within days of the the pandemic was toilet rolls 
Yes. And what, is, <laughs> yeah, that do, was crazy. Do, do children develop this fear of the number two at a very early age? Yes. Yeah, they do. And, you know, there's no rhyme or reason. I have thousands of emails a month of parents saying to me, my child just won't let go. I've tried everything. And it, it's, it's it, you know, I work hands-on with chil- children as well. I go into people's homes. And, and when I sit there and I say, well, why don't you want to do it? I just don't. I just don't want to do it. I don't like it. It's stinky. It's yucky. Or um, And a lot of the time as well, when you go for we, it, you know, I'm going to be graphic here, um, all parents, um, you know, it just goes it just comes out easily it's a natural thing but when you go for a poo it's that pressure and it's that fear of letting go so there's a little bit more going on there and I feel that children find it's the wrong thing to do to let go because there's heaviness you know in their bottoms that they've got to let go and that's what it boils down to so we need to um, make it fun and I have this is probably the most common problem I get um, emails for is letting go of your poo in the potty or the toilet it's definitely the most common. So the way I overcome this is um, we we shouldn't talk about it around our children because we do, you know, we start talking to grandma and friends and sisters and everything. And, you know, they just won't poo on the potty. They won't poo on the toilet. And then they're listening to this. And then it makes it a bigger problem than it is because children, they're like little sponges and they will listen to absolutely everything. Um, so what we need to do is turn it into a fun exercise. So we need to get over this fear of letting go and the way I always tell my parents to do it is wrap up some little prizes and on the front of it you can stick poo emojis on there um, which are really easy to download or um, people can email into me and we I just email them so they're little poo emojis and you put them on the prizes and say to them that the poo fairy have, has left the little prizes for them and if they let go and do a poo on the toilet or the potty, they can open a magic prize. So what they're doing is they're thinking more about the prize um, than they are of letting go. And that's all it boils down to is that fear of letting go. That's brilliant. I had never yeah. heard of the poo fairy before in my life. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Well, I, I you know, I, I created the poo and the, the wee fairy when I, you know, I've worked with children you know, globally and, you know, and even we sometimes can be a bit of an issue, but not as much. And mm. if somebody else is saying something, so you can leave a little letter from the poo fairy, say tonight and then in the morning when they get up, leave the little prizes by, by the letter. And then the children get up in the morning and say, look what the poo fairies left. These are special prizes just for you. So then already they're thinking that somebody is out there helping them. So it's not mummy and daddy telling them to do it. It's the poo fairy. Then you leave the prizes where they can see them. And during the day, just prompt them. Don't go on at them. Do you want to poo? Don't poo in your pants. Don't hide. Let me know. Don't go on at them. Just use the prizes and say, look, we've got a prize. Shall we try? Let me know. Just keep reminding them and keep prompting them. It really works. Honestly, this is the best thing over my 20 years of doing it that really has a success rate. They absolutely love it. All kids love prizes. And this is something that makes them feel good. And we've just got to make them feel good about going to the toilet. And that's it. It's great psychology. Is is the whole thing at that age, the very young age... um, is is it a mental thing or is it a muscular thing? Is it is it teaching yourself how to use the muscle? Uh, no, what what I find is because I obviously analyse children when I'm working with them, and I you know I've, I've worked with children that were autistic, disabled, everything, and all of them say I don't want to let go. 
they all say they don't want to let go so it's that fear it's that heaviness and they feel it's wrong you know so and I think that we've just got to and, and it's really important from an early age I can't stress this enough to parents is be open about your toilet habits you know just don't don't some parents have this really like a uh, thing where they don't talk about it the children aren't allowed in the bathroom with them and you know, and already that's creating this is not normal but it is normal. We all have to go to the toilet. We have to. So it's really important to talk about it, not shy away from it. You know, and when they're at an early age, this is a tip I can give to all your parents out there that once, you know, when you change their nappy, we all do it. I've done it. I've got older children. Oh, that's stinky. Oh, look at that. That's stinky. Don't say all of that because already that's implanting something that this is wrong. So don't do any of that. Oh, well done. You've done a poo. So we need to start, you know, just appreciating that this is a really big, massive milestone for children when they're toilet training. And I cannot tell you, honestly, how big a problem this is and it's getting worse so we need to start at an early age even if they're not ready for potty training is to have positive language surrounding toilet habits it's really important so i i you're, is is the reluctance to let go that's different to constipation yeah now constipation now children can become constipated yeah when they're toilet training, and especially in warmer weather, which obviously we haven't got here at the moment. Um, but basically, they can become constipated. We must make sure they have plenty of fluids, non-sugary, when you start potty training. Because people think we're going to start potty training, we're going to reduce their liquids because we don't want them to have an accident. This is absolutely a no-go. We need to keep plenty of liquids. Water or non-sugary juices are really good for them. But constipation is very different. They can become constipated because they're holding on because they don't want to let go so when we see this situation they are going to find it difficult because it will hurt them mm. and they will get tummy aches and they can start losing their appetite as well so we need to make sure they've got plenty of fluids plenty of fr fruit plenty of roughage like broccoli avocado strawberries you know just chuck it all in if they don't like the green vegetables which children can become a little bit fussy when they get to the age of three make some smoothies make some colorful smoothies for them but we need to make sure we get that that roughage in yeah. but yes it's very different constipation and um, letting go is a different thing this is something that they can't help but letting go the biggest fear children have when they toilet train is letting go of that heavy poo that they feel in their bottom I'm fascinating, Amanda. Thank you so, so much for talking to, to us. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we just need to make it fun, everyone. Just make it fun. Get those prizes and get that poo letter out for the from the fairies. And honestly, it mm. will help you. It's still, it's still so much taboo around that whole subject, isn't there? too much yeah. too much that's why i'm trying to change it so right. yeah too much but good okay. luck to everyone and please don't ever feel i just want to say to parents that you haven't done the right thing uh, parents of, often beat themselves up about it but it, it sometimes it's tough yeah. but we just have to make it fun and exciting okay and remember the the poo fairy is there to resolve the whole issue the, definitely yeah, definitely yeah. yes thank you very much amanda Thank you. Thanks Thank for you. having me. Thank bye you. Bye. That's Amanda bye. Jenner there, Global Potty Training and Toddler Specialist uh, with ITV and also radio. She's an expert on uh, that whole area and uh, the Pooh Fairy uh, available to everybody. More details and tips from Amanda on her website, by the way. This is worth noting. PottyTrainingAcademy.co.uk Okay? PottyTrainingAcademy.co.uk 
UK. Our text and WhatsApp number 0833969696. Join the conversation. Text or WhatsApp 0833969696. This is the Opinion Live with PJ Cougar. Oh, it's 96FM. Scars for PJ for the next couple of weeks and uh, the number is 0833969696. Now, if you're having a leisurely summer, uh, it's probably because someone's looking after your children. Maybe they're away with your, your parents or uh, maybe they're the Gale talked and maybe you just have that little bit of time to yourself and you're thinking, wow, this is wonderful. I'd forgotten what it's like. But for most parents, well, it's summertime and the living certainly ain't easy. There are a lot of frazzled parents um, who you can just see them in the cars, you can see them in the shops. The kids are bored, they're restless, they're out of their routines during the summer and as a result, their sleep patterns are all over the place. Uh, Lucy Wolf is author of Sleep Matters. She's a sleep consultant and co-creational relationship mentor and she joins me on the line. Good morning to you, Lucy. Hello there, Gareth. How are you? Very well, thank you. You can see them, can't you? The parents that look as if they haven't slept for maybe three weeks. Uh, they're, they've got two small kids in tow when they're in the aisle in the supermarket and they're saying, don't touch that. We'll go with this. No, we want that. And then it's a case of trying to find things for them to do, not just during the day, but half of the night as well. Yeah, it's true. And I suppose there's two parts to it, isn't there? The summer months can be very relaxing for parents who, let's say, um, haven't now got the school routine or, you know, crash and things like that. And there is a sense of freedom that comes with that for some. And then that also can be difficult if parents who are working, we're trying to juggle what we do with our children. Um, And also, if we lose that routine, sometimes it can have this knock-on effect to how bedtime is experienced and our children maintaining their sleep overnight as well. So I feel it kind of is, is two parts. It's not that it's not always that straightforward, but there seems to be that sort of dynamic for a lot. It it's changed over time, really. The summer holidays. Now, I mean, I'm I'm kind of way back in the dinosaur era, where you know when you got your summer holidays, you were told go on out and play with your friends and come in for your dinner and then go back out and play again until it's bedtime. But I mean, that's that's the distant past, isn't it? As far as young people on. Chris, our summer holidays oh, today. Oh, certainly, yeah. yeah. Yeah, definitely. Like, you know, it's more stru- It's obviously more structured. It's way more supervised. And there's a lot of positive pieces to that. Um, but I guess from a sleep point of view, what often happens this time of year is that if we don't have, let's say, um, something to go to or get up for, the wake time can get a bit dysregulated, which actually has a big impact on bedtime. So parents often focus on the fact that they maybe can't get their child to go to sleep by a certain time. And again, don't forget, we were talking about lots of different age ranges. and There's a big shift that happens for our teenagers in terms of their own bedtime anyway. But let's say sometimes when we don't have the routine of getting up, going to school, getting up and going to something, then the wake time gets dysregulated, which shoves the bedtime into a little bit of a free fall. So we focus on the bedtime, but actually our focus might need to be on the wake time. Just having a sense of regularity to that wake time. I probably wouldn't even prescribe a specific time, although for young younger children I do so let's say for children who are not yet in school I often recommend that we maybe try and look at a wake time no later than 7 30 a.m so that there's enough awake time to allow for bedtime to happen but again for an older 
primary school and post-primary school cohort. You can just pick a time, but regularity, sleep loves regularity. And often what happens in these summer months is that we don't have regularity. And we often have these higher temperatures. So, of course, our weather has been changeable, but it is quite warm. It's quite humid. And that doesn't help sleep either. And I take it that the smartphone doesn't help sleep either. <laughs> really? Yeah, no, absolutely. It doesn't. But like, I guess, like, obviously, all the things that help, you know, us, you know, in terms of what our children use and how they interact with them, you know, they all have a place. But certainly overuse of electronic media, like, has a long history of imp- impacting sleep. And again, you know, it's a long-standing conversation about trying to have maybe no electronics in the bedroom, maybe have boundaries around around, you know, when the phone goes off or gets put away. And that can be difficult, but it's important that during the summer months that maybe we uphold a level of those boundaries so that by the time it's only another couple of weeks, really, unfortunately, before we return to the kind of school environment. So it won't be too much of a shock to the system when we have to go back into the, that, the rigidity that, that is um, kind of it comes from uh, this, this school dynamic. Are young people happy to give up their phones in the evening? In other words, if... No, well, I mean, I've got four children and they're not very happy to give up their phones. Um, And I guess... It is a it is a relationship that we try to establish, and every family will find their own level with this. Um, but I don't feel it's an easy thing to do. And some will say, "Oh, it absolutely is easy." But myself, as a parent, I have found it to be one of the hardest boundaries to put in place, um, because you end up, in our case, let's say, you know, having kind of difficult conversations when we really want to be kind of looking to calm down around bedtime. But again, with predictability and with cooperation between all the parties it's just something that we try to set in place because we do know and it's not just your child and their use of their phone but it's their peers and that often there are snapchats and messages that come in all through the overnight period Mm. which often can disturb their sleep as well I've, I've, the, the abiding memory I have of the soccer team that were rescued from the Thai caves, do you remember they were trapped there a few years back um, and they were all rescued safely? They were asked afterwards, what was it during the period they spent in the caves? What was it that they missed most? And they all agreed yeah. that it was Wi-Fi. I know, but I mean, I kind of, I would totally get that um, we, because we've become so used to it. We're digital natives, really, essentially, and we are so used to that connectivity. And it's, it's what a change in a 20 odd year period. But unfortunately, these advances, you know, modern technology has had an impact and just modern life in general. You know, everything is on later, you know, training goes on to late hours they, 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 our children often are under pressure to you know have social aspects of their life course um, training like as extracurricular activities and often like work homework and again I know we were in the summer months but these things kick back in again in September and often they are selling a little or a lot Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. 
Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. At the sacrifice of, you know, regular bedtimes, and which then leads to getting enough sleep, which we can't underestimate the importance of that. Mm-hmm. And... For the parents involved, obviously you're a sleep expert. What advice would you give to mm. parents who are fried mentally at this stage? I know. Well, I mean, first of all, I you know I I really resonate with what parents are experiencing, and in the most part in my practice, I work with much younger children. So I work with children up to the age of six. But the points for sleep and sleep hygiene are generally universal. So first of all, just to remind everybody, you know, we're doing the best that we can, and on that basis, our children will too. You know, I suppose. I'll always return to, you know, some basic principles that do help initiate sleep. That would be that regular wake time, regular eating and drinking. Um, For children, let's say under this six year cohort, if they are struggling with their sleep, an earlier bedtime than what you're doing is often a really helpful adjustment to help reset their body clock and to help invite sleep to come. Just managing the heat at the moment, you know, try and have the room cooled down in advance of sleep you could look at you know a cool shower or bath running their wrists under the tap even if you don't want to go to the extent of the shower or the bath just to kind of lower their body temperature because that helps invite sleep in and then of course I'm always going to be a big advocate of you know a bedtime routine whether that's done with the parent for the younger age cohort or of course whether it's self-directed for the older um, age group that you're just trying to help have rituals that accompany going to sleep and also getting up from sleep Um, and you know just to mention about the struggle that parents experience often in the especially in the early years parents struggle significant with their children's sleep and one of the things that we're doing this summer is a a seven-week series of social and information orientated sessions that are in Maham Point it's called Connection Point and it's for parents generally of younger children uh, Gareth to connect with us and to hear from a wide range of experts and more importantly to kind of get a community and support in that community from their peers and from professionals like myself we've got a wide range of people to support we've got Frank Keller who's the paediatric osteopath lots of people in Cork will all be really familiar with Frank's work Orla Dorgan is a lactation consultant and we've got first aid we've got baby massage of course I'll be talking about sleep because it's always a really hot topic and then we've got a woman's health specialist as well and again sometimes we feel in the summer months there is this void of um services available mm. so we we were starting at the beginning of august and there's more information on my website sleepmatters.ie for parents to um have a look and see if it might be suitable for them that sounds wonderful because not, not only you know are you, are you benefiting from all of this advice but it's it's an opportunity to get together with other people who you you know i think sometimes parents can feel that they're, they're living on a planet on their own in situations like this oh. Absolutely. And that was that I completed a master's thesis last year, you know, and that was one of the biggest things that, you know, parents were feeling completely alone and vulnerable. And this kind of stimulated the idea to try and create a little bit more of a community setting, have it to have it as, you know, professional information, you know, quality guidance, but more importantly, putting emphasis on, you know, that interaction with each other. We know from research that, you know, finding a, you know, a, a friend who's going through similar really helps the journey because 
because it's difficult. Like we're talking about trying to take phones off older children, which you, as you're as a new parent, you can't even think ahead that far ahead. Yeah. Um, because these early years can be fraught with, you know, sometimes things that we don't feel like we can talk about because we think that maybe we've done something wrong. And again, we're just trying to normalize the experience and really connect people. And that was why we called it Connection Point in the first place. Well, it's going to happen starting in August each Friday, isn't that right, from 10 till 12 in the community room that's located at Man Point Shopping Centre. Yes, exactly. Uh, yeah. It's going to run for seven weeks and uh, you can book. I just said I put a thing on my, my website this morning on sleepmatters.ie or people can contact me directly, Lucy, at sleepmatters.ie as well if they that, want more information. That's great. And it's €140 Euro for the entire course. That's seven weeks. So it's €20 Euro a week, which is very good value. Yeah, and there's tea and coffee and a purple snack as well. Yeah, and a, a community atmosphere as well. Lucy, lovely to oh, chat yeah, to you. Oh yeah, that's what I'm really looking forward to. Yeah. You too, Gareth, and Thank lovely you. to hear you today. Thank you, take care. Bye for a while. That's uh, Lucy Wolf there, sleep expert, author of Sleep Matters, well worth reading. Uh, sleep consultant and co-creational relationship mentor. Gareth O'Callaghan here for PJ who's away for the next couple of weeks so uh, I'm minding the shop as they say 0833 96 96 96. Now a conversation that we were having earlier before we came on air uh, was in relation to makeup and cosmetics and you know let's not see the great divide there. A lot of men are now using makeup of all types uh, using cosmetics of all types and there are things particularly Particularly that we set aside a little budget for. You don't want to be seen without your makeup. You don't want to be without your cosmetics, your favorite brand, whatever that might be. But often what goes unspoken is the fact that so many of these very famous cosmetics and indeed the brands of cosmetics, these companies pay for tests on animals in China. So whether it's a cat or a dog or a rabbit or a guinea pig, your favourite household domestic pet. It's no longer rats, it's no longer mice or rodents. It's these beautiful little creatures that we treat as one of the family. Um, you might be surprised to know that some of the companies that pay for tests on animals in China include Estee Lauder, Makeup Forever Professional, Clinique, Maybelline, Mary Kay, Bobby Brown, Victoria's Secret, Glam Glow, Clarence Paris, La Mer, Benefit, the San Francisco and Elizabeth Arden, New York. So I don't know whether that puts you off the brand of cosmetic that you love uh, to keep in your bag or you love to keep in the glove compartment, but certainly it's a debate that has popped up again as it has done over the years. I personally thought fewer of these companies were resorting to animal testing, but it clearly shows that, uh, if anything, it's unfortunately as popular as it ever was. Uh, joining me is Dr. Julia Baines, who is PETA's Senior Science Policy Manager, People for the Ethical Treatment of Animals. Good morning to you, Julia. Good morning. Is it becoming... Um, is, is the market for testing these cosmetics on animals becoming bigger or has it changed at all? Well, it's, it's difficult to predict exactly how many animals are used every year, but estimations have been it's approximately 300,000 animals are used in these types of tests. And that does tend to be in China, which you mentioned, which is the market that has the biggest kind of blanket testing requirement to use animals but I would say in terms of markets and how things are changing, more and more people are definitely switching over to cruelty-free products because that is a market that is 
growing. I mean, on the PTUS's website now, there's over 6,000 companies and brands that are now listed as being animal test free. And so we keep seeing that growth, which is fantastic. So how did they test the cosmetics and the makeup before they put it on the market? Okay, well, let's not make any bones about this. It's not pretty. So the kind of tests that happen are toxicological tests. So these are the kinds of tests where guinea pigs might be injected with lipstick ingredients to check for painful skin reactions. Rats can be force-fed shampoo ingredients for weeks or months, which can cause sickness, convulsions, weight loss, death, and even pregnant animals, pregnant rabbits, for example, they might be repeatedly dosed. That means they're forced to ingest things like face cream ingredients to see whether their newborns will be deformed when they're born. Good God. How, yes. how how many how many people are aware of this? On a, like on a, a percentage basis, would 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 there be fifty percent of the population aware of this? People who use these cosmetics, would they be aware that this is going on? It's, it's you know what? It's a really confusing situation, and it's I wouldn't be surprised if many many consumers get confused because. You hear about companies that saying they're cruelty free, but actually they're not because companies like you've mentioned before, like Max Factor, etc. They will say on their website they do not test on animals unless it's for a regulatory requirement. So that just means they are not doing the testing themselves, but they are selling their product over in China where they are paying for those tests to happen in order to access that market. So it really is a case of putting profit before ethics so it really is a confusing situation for consumers and in relation to you mentioned six thousand brands that don't use animals to test the cosmetics what what how how do they go from from the the the, the raw material to the shelf without using animals well, there's a huge variety of tests now. So across Europe, um, it was since 2013, there's been a blanket ban on testing cosmetics ingredients on animals and then a marketing ban on the sale of those types of products. And so when those bans were coming into effect in the lead up to those, there was a massive, massive development and drive, largely from the cosmetics sector, to develop non-animal tests. So now they have, for example, various in vitro methods, so these are cell cultures, um, 3D tissue models, computer simulations that can effectively model and predict what would happen to a human. And so they can use a huge variety of these types of tests to be able to assure safety. And they do. And that's that's what they've been. Many of these companies have been doing this for years now. So safety can be assured without needing to force feed rabbits cosmetics ingredients. Okay, Julia, stay where you are. I just want to bring in Mary Jane here. She's also known as Glamity Jane, beauty expert. Morning to you, Mary Jane. Morning, Gareth. How are you? I'm fine. You must be shocked by what you're hearing, although I know that you are vehemently opposed to animal testing. Yes, I I certainly don't agree with it. Um, I think, you know, maybe in the 1940s there might have been cause for it or they might have thought there was cause for it, but certainly what we know now, I mean, anybody that has a pet 
will know I've got two cats and if I thought anybody even was any bit cruel to them, um, I would be appalled. So you have to think of guinea pigs and rabbits and all the other, and rats and whatever they use in, in animal testing to be the same as your domestic animals, you know? So it's very hard to um, kind of quantify. There are loads of brands that um, are available that are, are cruelty-free, and there are certifications, like I know that PETA um, will certify some brands, and there's other um, accreditations like Leaping Bunny and that. So it just, I suppose there is really no excuse for it in this day and age, but regulations in China do dictate that testing does have to be carried out before products um, can be sold there and like a lot of the I mean you know we've seen in China a lot of their live markets and things like that their animal regulation is is really quite poor um, compared to Europe and particularly Ireland where our um, regulation is far far stricter and more stringent and I'm not a vegan or a vegetarian I, I eat meat um, but I, I do think that the the unnecessary cruelty of testing on animals isn't great and like there are loads of Irish brands and there's loads of international brands that don't test on animals and that goes like before a lot of the the time things like um, lipsticks and stuff like that um, wouldn't have been tested on animals and it was like grand but now skincare brands have kind of recognised so like we have a, a skincare brand in Ireland um, and it's sold in just in Ireland and in UK it's called Skin Formulas and their 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 products are completely vegan and completely cruelty free but very efficacious as a beauty expert I would really rate the brand you know mm-hmm. so I think you have to look at the ethics of how you feel about products yourself um, and like you, there are so many um, people that write about specifically just about cruelty free products so like cruelty free kitty is one bra- is one blog such blog and you can go on and like the information is there online what i would say to people is if you are looking at it just beware that it's possible you might come up against you know some very disturbing photos or whatever but maybe people need to see those to yeah. to to be more conscientious about the brands that they're buying you know yeah, cosmetics. I suppose it's 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 very similar to perfume, isn't it? Particularly for women, they they stick to the one perfume for most of their lives. That's it, and I think like in Ireland now, with with uh, with the ability to purchase online and and the ability to be more conscientious and do a little bit more research, people can find out, you know, where the brands are that um, that don't test on animals. Um, I think the. The China thing, selling in China, is a, that's a little bit more ambiguous, you know, um, because it, it's not the brand themselves. It, it's it's the regulatory bodies or whatever that are testing. So that 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 is a little bit ambiguous. Um, but there are loads of there are dozens and dozens of cruelty free brands if you want to look out for them. And not all of them are high end um, products, you know. Like there's a brand. Elf Eyes Lips Face and that's a very cheap brand you can buy in pennies um, and the lipsticks there kind of start from about three or four euro um, and you have brands like Wet n Wild who are another brand and they, they have um, cheap and cheerful stuff so it's not a cost thing it's a it's an ethics thing Dr. Julia Brown Baines if I can bring you back in here like if the Chinese have 
laws in place, why aren't they enforcing them in terms of, of, of regulatory procedures? Or, or are there loopholes that these companies are finding? Essentially, it's it's the Chinese authorities that demand to have certain types of tests for certain types of products. And if a company chooses to import their products into China, they know that the Chinese authorities uh, will test those particular products on animals before allowing them to be sold in China. So it's part of the Chinese laws that are requiring this. But actually, what a lot of people don't realize, and this might shock you even more, is I mentioned we have a ban in Europe. And as Mary Jane mentioned as well, we have very strict regulations over here. But what a lot of people don't realize is while we have a ban under what's called the cosmetics regulation, under the EU chemicals regulation, the chemicals agency still require cosmetics ingredients to be tested on animals. And these are ingredients that are not used in any other types of products. Yeah, they are exclusively used in cosmetics. So you have a ban under one regulation, and yet it can happen under another. And I think that's outrageous. So it's a catch-22 situation, really, isn't it? Yes. Yeah. It really is. And is, is it going to change? Well, we hope so. And in fact, I am hoping within potentially the next seven minutes, or at least within the next 24 hours, I'm going to hear from the European Commission on the results of a European Citizens Initiative that Peter was a part of. And this was a European-wide kind of petition, if you like, where we had to have at least one million people sign the petition across at least seven different EU countries. And that petition was calling for three different things. It was calling for one, for the cosmetics regulations to be tightened to stop this loophole under testing under the chemicals regulation but it was also to tighten up things like the chemicals regulation to make sure non-animal methods are used more widespread and also that Europe works towards actually having an action plan a bit like a climate change action plan but an action plan to end all types of testing on animals you know to work towards having better human relevant methods but in order so we're hoping to hear yeah. from the commission in about yeah minutes now so what would happen to all of these world-famous brands if, if the laws changed, if, if the, the regulatory bodies became more enforceful in terms of their ability to stop animal testing? You know what? It will mean that we will get better tests because when you do put bans in place and when you have restrictions put in place on what can be done to animals, innovation happens. And we've seen this happen before that we get better methods being developed, more human relevant methods being developed, things that can predict what happens to people much more effectively. So we'll see a better realm, a better generation of science. So, you know, wonderful things can happen. Mm. Mary Jane, just before I let the two of you go, uh, you must be invited on a very regular basis to test new cosmetics, are you? Um, yes, I do. I am. And I, I do it across the board um, on lots of different ones. I My preference is always um, cruelty-free brands. Um, but I suppose, you know, in my in my journalistic side of things, I, I test right across the board on, on all, like all brands. Um, but you will always see when you get a press release, Gareth, if someone is um, cruelty-free or they're 
very animal friendly. They will always have it. Like they're they're you don't have to go for the mega expensive ones, as I said. Now, there are loads of, you know, more expensive brands like Dermalogica and those kind of ones that are cruelty-free and don't test on animals. And they'll they, they'll have it on the press release. They'll always let you know. Um, and I think, as Julie was saying there, you know, I think from a perspective of anybody that's that's looking to, to make a purchase or anything like that, there is a wide range of products available online and they all scream about, um, you know, being cruelty-free. Um, and some of the bigger brands and the Insalam brands um, and Irish brands. I mean, I think Irish brands seem to be so forthcoming and really, really um, dig down into the the science part of it. And if at this stage, you know, if you can get... a, a if you can develop a technology that can write an article for somebody like AI, mm-hmm. surely there can be, you know, surely they can test animal or test things that are not um, on animals through artificial you know, should, intelli- yeah. through artificial intelligence means, yeah, or or through you know, however, I mean, it's you know, like surely if you can grow things, human. Um, bits and pieces in labs, surely there, you know, there is the ability to, to test. Um, and a lot, that's how most of the, like, if, if brands, if there are brands already doing it, then every brand should be doing it. Yeah. It's, it's been great talking to the two of you. Uh, Dr. Julia Baines, PETA's Senior Science Policy Manager, and Mary Jane, also known as Glamity Jane. Thank you so much for your time this morning. Take care. Thank you. Thank you. The lines are live. Hello. Join the conversation. Call 0818969696. Text or WhatsApp 083 396 Email opinion at 96fm.ie. This is the opinion line with PJ Coogan. Cox 96FM. PJ is away for the next two weeks and a little bit, so I'll be with you. It's Gareth O'Callaghan here on Cork's 96FM. Um, opinion line 0833969696. I think half of Cork City and County seems to be away on holidays at the moment. It's lovely if you're listening by the pool or wherever you might be. If you're trekking around Europe or uh, you're, you've gone to the bar early, sure, why not? You're on your holidays. But uh, the rest of us are left behind. And I have to say, it's very calm. Um, we left the house. I got a lift in from my lovely wife this morning. And we were here at the studio within seven minutes. Well, not seven. No, no, no. Keeping the speed limit in mind, it was about 12 minutes, which is quite good. Anyway, I hope you're having a leisurely day today and uh, that you can stay with us until 12 and through the day as well. We'll be here with you for the next two weeks. 083 396 96 96. If you've ever done the old dating scene online or maybe you've done the old speed dating or whatever and you look back and you think, God, I'm so glad I don't need to go through that again. There's yet another dating trend doing the rounds at the moment and this one is known as ghost lighting. You're probably thinking gaslighting? No, ghostlighting. It's a mix of ghosting and gaslighting. TV producer Brenda Dennehy is here to tell us all about it. Great to talk to you again, Brenda. Hi, Gareth. How are you? I'm very well, and it's always lovely to chat to you because you've you you you've just you bring a great energy to the conversation. Thank you so much, and it's lovely to hear you on the radio as well. Back again, I hope all is well. All is good, thank you. Now, um, I, I you you would have a kind of an in-depth knowledge of the dating scene. Is that is that uh, the the right way to put it? 
<laughs> yeah, I actually was on as a two or three dates. I was on no last uh, week. Uh, I had I was like every few weeks. I kind of like oh, I'm done with it now. I'm not going to do it anymore. I don't care anymore. But then I slowly find myself back on the apps. Uh, so I did two dates last week. Now there's so many different terms. You mentioned there the um, the ghost lighting. Obviously, people are probably like, what is ghost lighting? So people probably have heard of ghosting, which I have been ghosted before i was actually ghosted uh by a boyfriend of three years i was going out with i was actually ghosted here in london i was only like 21 he actually totally never showed up so like ghosting means that they like just disappear from the face of the earth like you know there was no trace of them whatsoever they're just gone and there's no explanation it's kind of like everything was okay you know and they're just gone that makes it worse like if there was a situation where something was wrong but there was nothing wrong in my relationship and a lot of the relationships people get ghosted on they say the same they just up one day and there's gone and there's no explanation for it and then ghost light well ghost lighting then part of it is gaslighting i don't know if people understand what gaslighting is Mm -hmm. but gaslighting then basically it's kind of like you know if people you'll question your own sanity it doesn't technically have to be in dating terms it can be in life as well like i've been in work environments where i felt that i was being gaslighted by someone that i was actually having to write down stuff going am i going crazy here it's kind of stuff people will yeah. do and you're questioning your own thoughts so the am i right in thinking it's a kind of a psychological tactic that, that particularly in abusive relationships where the abuser would make the other half question your judgment, or even whether you're going mad or not. Yes, exactly. That's what they do. It's kind of like you're you're thinking you're going mad and you're nearly convincing yourself you're going mad, you know, and they make you start thinking all these like random, crazy, chaotic thoughts. And eventually you'll think that you're the one that's wrong. So then the ghost lighting is a combination of the ghosting and the gaslighting together. So like they'll come back to haunt you and then like, they'll deny all knowledge of disappearing in the first place. So, like, they've ghosted you, and then they'll come back, and you're like, oh, my God, what happened? And then they're kind of like, oh, sure, nothing, nothing happened. And you're actually thinking, am I imagining that they actually did ghost me? Am I imagining this whole thing? So that's the combination of the two, which is even more wild. And the thing is, uh, guys, these, do you think, oh, these things only happen in films and everything like that? No, these things actually do happen. There's actually a page here. I'm currently living in London, and it's, are we dating the same guy, London? And I think there's Irish ones as well, but it's basically, there's like 50, 60,000 women on this. And it's all women's experiences, basically, about are they dating the same guy, whatever. And then they'll put up like, oh, I was dating him and he was harassing me or he was abusing me. And it's like, it's this page where people out men. Now, I don't know if there's a page as well. Men might be doing it to women as well. But that's the latest thing now where like I'm seeing all these real life incidents of the gaslighting, the ghosting, the summary meaning all these certain things like they are actually real it's not like in netflix what's sub submarining what's that brenda oh see so submarining is like when someone randomly messaged you after ghosting you first like again it's kind of like the ghost lighting where they kind of previously acted like they weren't interested so that's where that come they come back as well like i my example as well would be i was ghosted we'll say in july but i came up to london i was going out with a guy for three years and we were meant to meet up in london no i didn't have an address for him um at the time and 
Um, then in July, I heard nothing from him, August, September. And then in the middle of October, I got a phone call from the person. And I was like, oh, my God, shaking with temper. And I was like, I didn't know it was him because he had a different number. And I remember, like, asking him, why did you do what you did? And he was like, oh, I don't know. I didn't do anything. Wow. So that was kind of like, yeah, is it? And I was going out the person for three years. Like, it wasn't a fling. Like, you know, I was, I said, well, I told, back then, though, I was puppy love. It wasn't real love. But like, three years in a race, it was quite embarrassing at the time. But now, like, I've told the story. I've written about the story. I laugh at the story. I'm like, going, wasn't I brave going off to London on my own? And I was pretending to everyone at home everything was fine. I made up the whole um, story to my mother and father that I had met him and everything. And I told everyone, oh, yeah, I met him. He's brilliant. Because I was so embarrassed and so ashamed. But now I'm telling it like on the radio couple of hundred thousand well whatever how many people listening and I've no shame at all 700,000 at the moment well it might be 700 I know it's, it's up just to gone up another 50,000 in the last like five minutes well amazing there you go so yeah so yeah there's so many like and it is hard to go dating and stuff like that because there's all these different things happening mm. you do think you're going mad and I suppose it's that bit embarrassment as well like where girls and guys like girls are guilty of doing stuff to guys as well you know, so I just yeah. want to lay that out here as well. It's not all women are the victims. Like, guys are the victims as well. So it is hard dating. Yeah, but I, th- I think, and this is, to some people might say, well, th- it's a bit of a sexist thing to say. I don't care. I think it's true. I believe it's true because there's research on it. Women are more emotional than men generally. And most, many men see women as an easy target. So I would say ghosting and gaslighting, it, it belongs to the male narcissist, doesn't it? Yeah, it would be, but then again, I have heard term, I have heard situations and stories of women who have done it to men as well in certain circumstances. But I would say, like eighty percent probably is men doing it to women. And of course, as you said, us women are much more emotional. A woman probably gets, you know, falls in love first and stuff like that. You know, we're 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 different. Like we're just totally, we're you know, chemically so different, men and women. So I suppose men would be the ones kind of the instigators of it mostly but I'm saying there's some women as well and I've seen their form and they haven't been very nice to men either you know so they would take advantage of them maybe when it comes to financial status and stuff like that yeah so yeah it is it's like I'm someone I'm not bothered like I'm not fussed about getting married and like I'm out there that I don't want children everyone knows that um so like I'm just dating for a bit of crack you know what I mean I'm not like they're searching and see some of the women my own age and like they're looking for the husband and they're just settling for this kind of lad that they are rarely they're not really interested you know they settle like I would never want to settle like I want to have the fella that will you know blow my mind and that I'm obsessed with and he's obsessed with me whereas I'm just plodding along here like I'll go on another date now with a fella during the week because there's always going to be a story with them you must be you know, exhausted there's always are a you? story to tell well, I'm exa- I was exhausted now this week, all right, but um, there's an English chap now I was meeting on Saturday as well. So I like, the all, I like to kind of do a bit of Irish and do a bit of English then, and I, an Italian fella then last week as well. So, you know, I might go more Atlantic across the pond in America okay. now the week after, because in London there's plenty to go around. So that's the thing, com- comparing to Ireland, like I was seeing like my cousin on the apps at home. You know, I'd be on Bumble and I'd see my old cousin from over the road. And like in here in London, you don't get that. Yeah. But yeah. So yeah. So it's interesting. But I suppose, you know, if you're putting your heart and soul out there and if you are really looking for love, then chances are getting hurt with all these new like fr- like submarining, gaslighting, ghosting, all these kind of things. Right. It can- and catfishing. We haven't even touched on catfishing. We all know what catfishing is. Well, you There's better, that as well, which people have been caught for. Give us a blast of cat- catfishing. Um, what's that? Is it? 
submarining is coming back to the surface, coming kind of coming back into your life again yeah. after a long period under under underground. Yeah, so catfishing then is like when someone takes information from someone else. Like we'll say someone's pretending to be Brenda Dennehy, you know. Yeah. So they'll take, you know, part of my life. Oh, she used to work on radio in Cork and she's now in London. They might take my images then and pretend they're me. Um, so like lots of like married people and stuff like that. Someone might want to get someone back, we'll say. And they'll post we'll, like someone's husband online and pretend it's them. And obviously the wife might find out thinking that he's actually online, but it's actually someone trying to sabotage the relationship. Because I've often seen seen we'll see people's husbands online but i know it's not them i know it's someone with an agenda trying to get the man in trouble or something like cause friction between the pair so there's a lot of that goes on as well um so yeah it's it's wild it's wild does anyone ever chat people up in pubs anymore um, well, they kind of do, but it's kind of, I think everyone's done, like, now people aren't as sociable anymore, because, mm. you know, obviously they've got their phones, like, I'd love to go to an event, because I have great boundaries around my phone, I'd love to go into, like, a pub, and, like, you know, in the pouches, you have to put away your phone, and, like, I'm sure there's plenty of them in London, um, just go in and just having to talk to someone, um, I got chatted up there in a bar not so long ago, so it still does happen, probably, you're not probably trying enough, you're not going out there, before now you go, oh, we'll go out there, now we'll get the shift now tonight whereas you wouldn't really be kind of that way inclined anymore you'd be like oh we'll just go out whereas I'll go on the old bumble there if I'm on the shift mm. you know what I mean it's kind of like that yeah and so in, it in, still happens but not as much in London is is it a kind of a, a more free-minded society are we still a little bit backward here when it comes to, to dating I mean you obviously have this multicultural experience now <laughs> considering that you're going to go for an Italian next week well, I did the Italian last week. Um, I think before... Sorry, no, I can't I keep up. I, was a, I know, I know. And it, they're all only dates. Like, they're all just meeting for a quick drink. And do you know what's funny, Gareth? Because, like, I'll, we all know within, like, five seconds if we like someone or not physically. I don't care. And I know people grow on you, whatever. But, like, usually I know within five seconds. I'm like, you know, they, they didn't work out with someone there. Now I was walking down towards them. And I was like, nah. Straight away, I just know. I did give them the benefit of the doubt and the chat and all that. But I was like, no, not for me. Move on. Next. Um, they probably it's happened to me as well where they're feeling the same as me but I'd say no like in Ireland as well like people are pretty like good to go dating as well I suppose it's kind of harder as well like there's more fish in the sea here whereas there's not at home again like you're seeing your cousin your brother online and stuff like that you know and like it's funny because I was back in Dublin there the other day on Friday and I went online just for a few minutes and then I was kind of like, ah don't tell me he's still around you know you see someone <laughs> that you know but like He's obviously going, ah, oh, don't tell me, she's still around, the poor thing. So, like, I'm doing that, you know what I mean? I'm like, ah, oh, Jesus, look at your man here, he's still around. So they're obviously doing it to me, Jesus, Brenda, never find anyone, that poor thing. Wouldn't you think, now she moved on. <laughs> so they're obviously doing the same to me. Um, so, yeah, so then, what the thing is, though, what happens, what annoys me is, you'll match someone, and, like, I'll go out there straight away and message them, I don't care, I'll just say something totally stupid, random, it could be anything at all, to get the chat going. And then they don't reply to you, which I feel like, why are you on the app as it is? Why are you even on the app if you're not going to, like, communicate with me? Which is a bit ridiculous. I find them probably better to communicate here rather at home because you could be matching, like, Tom down the road could be meeting in the local centre and he wouldn't even look at you and you're like, come here, we matched online there. Are you actually ignoring me here? Mm. You know, so there's a bit of that that probably goes on, whereas you're less likely to bump into them on the street here, even though that Italian fellow only lives a mile away from me here. But we'll stay friends. I, if I met him, no, I'd be, you know, I wouldn't be embarrassed or anything like that. I'd be all chat, yeah. you know, but, you know, you win some, you lose someone. 
Barbara says here on the texts, uh, she says, that woman sounds a bit desperate. I don't think you sound desperate. I think you're having a great time. No, I'm having a ball. Like, why? Why See, this is it. Why would I be desperate if I'd gone on three dates in probably 10 days? I would say, like, they're all got a story. You know what I mean? If I need, like, we'll say, for instance, in, like, I'm still working in media. If I needed to find uh, contact in Italy, right, for work, we'll say, Mm-hmm. Um, I'd get on to the guy I met and go, come here, Andrea, can you um, get, can you get me a contact there in Rome on something? They're all handy contacts to have. Yeah. So I don't see, I would say, just to say, Barbara would be small-minded now to me, just because someone went on three dates in 10 days for a bit of crack, for a bit of a laugh, I would say that's the small-minded mentality probably that Ireland has comparing to somewhere in London. That's what I would say back to Barbara. And I don't mean that in a kind of aggressive way. I would say, what sounds desperate about going on dates for a bit of a laugh? Yeah. You know what I mean? That's like, I don't jealous. drink, Garrett. Like, well, I don't, like, see, the thing is, I don't drink. Obviously, I don't smoke. Like, my thing is, like, I'm up this morning at five o'clock running, training for a marathon. I'm here studying now for the day. Like, my bit of a laugh and all that, like, is probably going on a date. Like, I, like, I might not go on a date again for six months. Mm. So I would say maybe Barbara, if she's single, maybe to go out there and join Tinder, she'd be delighted with life. <laughs> Um, just if I could talk to you until twelve o'clock. Just one or two more questions. Uh, does yeah. does a fella's occupation matter when it comes to those those valid five seconds? Like if he says, if you said, "What do you do?" and he says, "I'm a grave digger," would that put you off? Oh no, like that'd be a great conversation there. Now <laughs> it's a bit of a dead conversation. Boom, boom. Like I'd be kind of I'd be like, well, you never owned a business, and I probably just ask him like, do you ever find like skeletons and all this kind of stuff and. You know what I mean? I wouldn't say, no, that wouldn't put me off. Like, I kind of would go for, like, the certain person I met there not so long ago, he was working for Disney, which was great chat. You know, another guy there, like, he was a financial advisor and he was working in real estate and stuff like that. Doesn't, like, I'll never get turned off by what they do. If a guy was a stay-at-home dad, I'd be like, well, that's grand. It doesn't matter, you know? Um, So, not for me, personally. I know some people might be kind of like that and, you know, they might say, oh, my God, like, he's a banker now and he works in the city and, like, he's plenty of money. Like, that that's not my money, you know what I mean? That's his money. I'd never look that, but certain women, they probably would. My dad always told me, like, I don't care what race you end up with or who, what type of person you end up with, make sure they're not lazy. That's what my father always told me. So if all I would care, don't care what they'd be working at, but if they were lazy, that would be my turn off. That's it. Right. Just once you're a hard worker, it could be anything, but just don't be lazy because that turns me off. Um, by the way, Mary Healy just commented, she says, loving hearing Brenda back on the radio, she'd put a smile on your face. I completely agree with you, Mary. Thanks for, for texting oh, us. Love Mary. Mary's what, great. She's so what, what happens when you irresistibly fall in love, Brenda? When when I do or when I have in the past? When I no, do when next you, when or you, when I have in the past? When, well, when you do. Is it, I, pr- I presume it's an I, inevitability or is it? I don't know, Gareth, because, like, I'm very, like, I'm very career-orientated at the moment. Like, I've plans to move on from London and to move elsewhere in the next year. So, for me, I'm not going to be living in London, we'll say, in a year's time. This is my plan. I'm going to be moving across the pond. Ooh. What can I say? I'm not saying, is it Ireland or where is it? But there's no point in me meeting someone here when I have kind of, like, my plans started and I'm moving elsewhere. I think the man for me isn't in London or whatever. I think he'll be at the next place that I'm going to end up. And um, when do you know what? If I like, there's nothing better than being in love. I've been in love a couple of times, and like to be getting the text messages there from the guy that you like, and he's texting you first thing in the morning, good morning, and you're getting all excited. Like I see my friends having that now, and I'm delighted for them. 
So if I do fall in love, you know, like, oh, I don't know, like, it'll be good. But to be honest with you, and as corny as it sounds like, the most important relationship is that you have with yourself. And, like, after years of probably, like, working on myself and sometimes hating myself and not being so happy in myself, now I'm at a point in my life where I am in a very happy place and... Like, I think that's where I am now. What happens after? I don't know. But once I'm, like, I'm happy on my own now. I'm probably happiest on my own, in my own company at the yeah. moment. So if I do fall in love, well and good. And if not, and if I end up on my own, then how bad? I'll be happy still. Well, you'll date for many decades to come, if that's the case. Do, do you like a quiet, oh, do you like a quiet man or a chatty man? I love a chatty man with good chat and a good chat up lines. That's what I like. I like it. If a fella, some people hate chat up lines, but if a fella came to me and then I don't know and he gave me a, like a cheesy chat up line, I would love it. He'd win me over. I love that. I love a funny man, just the one to make me laugh. I love someone who's probably loud, probably louder than me, which is probably hard to get. But if I found someone who's probably the same personality as me, probably a bit louder, a bit cheekier, then that's the man for me. Couple of comments, Brenda. Marie says hi to Brenda. Always loved hearing you when you were on. 96 and uh, also a comment here hi Gareth I'm a woman in my 40s I've had such a bad experience with dating apps I deleted them all as it was so soul destroying with the ghosting and the submarining and the catfishing and knocked my confidence completely what would you say to that Brenda? I would say, do you know what? There's other avenues as well, and you should actually put the call out there. There's other kind of matchmakers in Cork as well. I knew there's a new one there um, not so long ago. I'm not sure of the name, but I'll try and get a fee and send it on she. I would say to that woman, if she really wants to find someone, maybe could own the whole matchmaking route, because I know they're successful that too. Because the apps, like as I said, you'd be matching one guy, you'll send a message, and he mightn't even reply. He might even just unmatch you all of a sudden. And there you are, feeling absolute crap about yourself. You know, and there's all these things like it is like a minefield and it could gauge how you're going to be for the day like the apps and stuff like that so I understand where she's coming from they're not for everyone you have to have a good bit of confidence for them you have to just kind of go you know like this guy's after doing this now not to take it too much to heart but it's hard because some people fall in love easier than others you know and some you're like you want to invest in someone and you know if you're really looking for someone and then all of a sudden you're going on the app and they're actually gone then it's awful but I would say when it comes maybe to go speed dating even I've often gone on speed dating great events always a story to be told and maybe even some local matchmakers as well and there's national matchmakers as well mm. um, even if she googles them online I'm sure someone will be able to help uh, uh, Lisa says uh, can you ask Brenda she mentions that she knows in five seconds whether it's the guy or whether it's not the guy what is it about the five seconds what do you what comes to you well, in five seconds? It's that's the physical part that I'm saying. I will always state like I I won't write them off from the first five seconds. Gar, you know if you're if you're will say meeting a woman, right? Okay, I know you're married now, right? But you know yourself if you were like back in the day dating within five to ten seconds, you know if you're physically attracted to them or not. Mm. Like you do. Tell me you do. Oh you yeah, do. Oh, but definitely. that's it. Within the first five to ten seconds. But come here, there's men there that I've met who aren't even my type, right? And it's their personality. And then I fancy them over that. So I would know within five, ten seconds, okay, physically, I'm probably not attracted to him. But I always stay there and have the drink with them and have the crack with them. And then if I'm like, you know what, now, I'm not too physically attracted to him at the start, but he's won me over his personality. He's hilarious. Like, there's a guy there that I know, and he's totally not my type. But the way with the swagger and the arrogance, sorry, I'm attracted to arrogance, which is terrible, but a lot of women are. The swagger and the arrogance, I'm so into him. Like, he's not even my type. Like, physically, he's not even my type. But with the smart swagger, the arrogance, and the attitude, 
I'm big into him then. There's that side of it too. But I suppose physically for me, within the first five, ten seconds, I like, and that, even if you Google that, that's going to be like, that's going to be a biological fact, like chemical fact. That is true that that's the way humans are. But I'll always sit down and I still have the date with them. And after my God, you know what? Now I'll give them a chance again. I'm actually like his personality and I am attracted to these uh, traits and features. So I'm not saying I write them after they go, oh God, no, I'm, he's not for me. Like it's happened where I've not fancied them at the start and gone on a second date with them, which is actually what I'm going doing with a guy whenever Barbara's going to be in an office date. Now here, me dating all these men. Um, <laughs> so just to see... <laughs> like this is the thing people might then be actually thinking oh she's a slut then do you know what I mean because you're going on a few dates like please do you know what I mean I'm just going on having a bit of a laugh like this is my like free time you know as I said like I'm not drinking and not drugging yeah. or not doing this whatever but what I'm getting at is I suppose physically and I think we all have to admit it if you fancy someone or not but then there's certain things about the person as I said about that man that's not my type physically at all I'm into him that they can like persuade me and I'm, I'm into them it's happened several times just uh, you mentioned there that you're you're into that sort of arrog- arrogant characteristic yeah uh, that trait yeah. is is uh, do you find there are many men who are slightly overwhelmed by your vivacious extroverted nature the fact that you you know exactly who you are, what you want, where you're going, what you don't want, who you don't want. Does that put a lot of fellas off? Well, no. What I think is I have noticed with a lot of men, they probably want to be the kind of dominant one. And like we'll say they would want to be the more one, you know, that people will go to in the room if there's like me or him, whatever, that the man wants to be the dominant one. And I would in the past, I think, have met men and... I would have met men before and they kind of would have been like, I oh, don't be doing that now, cop on to yourself, you know what I mean? And tone it down and all that. Whereas I want a man who's enabling me, who's kind of like, go on, yeah, go on, do that there, no, I dare you. Whereas like I had before, like disablers, I call them, like they'd be like, Jesus, don't be doing that now. Like if I was like, oh, will I go off and do something just for the crack, Gary, yeah, you know? Yeah. And they'd be like, Jesus, don't do that, you make sure of yourself. Whereas I'd love a fella like who, you know, be like, go on, jump over the gate there, or do whatever, you know? I, the Someone like that is for me. Whereas I have been with the disablers before and I've tried to change for them I'd be like Jesus I'll change now for him yeah. I'll tone it down and I'll try and be quiet but that lasts within two minutes and then I'm gone again yeah that's the gaslighter really isn't it that's the gaslighter and it's, I've tried to be the quiet one and I'm like trying to be different and all that but sure I just explode again and I'm just myself you know mm. but like I'm not going to be sticking around with a lad who's like telling me what I don't mean telling me what to do but it's in like tone it down there or keep it down be quiet you know I want someone who's kind of is like oh my god look this is my girlfriend whatever and like isn't she amazing like she talks to everyone and she's confident and she's self-assured in herself you know rather than someone oh look at you on there she doesn't shut up and you know what I mean she thinks this is herself you know I don't want someone like that and I would get the thing is Gareth I would rather be on my own as I am now rather than settle for a guy who's kind of like telling me tone it down or be quiet there will you or whatever so I you know that's that's just I'd rather be alone like and on my own yeah well you know it's so refreshing talking to you you know that famous saying what other people think about you is none of your business love it yeah, yeah it's it took so me, true and it's true yeah I, it took me years to you know I, I mean I, I, like age wise I'm, I'm, I'm sort of uh, you, you'd have to go up a couple of double digits like to get away from say your age to my age but I think at your young age it's so refreshing to hear of someone who's so confident in themselves not about life just in themselves you can be amazingly confident and you can climb mountains and you can run marathons but if you don't have that inner energy that inner belief in yourself and I think if, if one thing comes out of the conversation today Brenda it's that 
you know, you, you if if you could bottle it and sell it to so many people your age and younger, it it would just it would improve their lives no cost. What marathon are you going to run, by the way? Uh, New York, New Whoa. York marathon, It'll be my third marathon. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's in November. So I'm training already, and I'm studying. No, that's funny. No, you said that. I'm actually studying. Um, I'm doing a course being a life coach. So I'm actually um off today, and that's what I'm actually studying now. Yeah. So I'm trying to bottle up all that kind of stuff that I have to help others as Great. well. So yeah, always a joy to talk to you, Brenda. Mind yourself. Good luck with the marathon, Stop, and um, say hello. I will. Thank you so much. I'd say Italy will probably be your next stop. Am I right in thinking that? Who knows? Who knows? I am due a trip to actually Italy in September, so we'll see what happens. I do love the Italians. I'm not going to write them off. Yeah. So God only knows where I'll end up, you know? Oh, so those, life is those lived, Italian you know? men. <laughs> yes, life mm. is a story, you know? But anyway, thank you so much for having me. Thanks, Brenda. I was going to say that your feet never touched the ground, but perhaps that wouldn't be the right analogy there. But anyway, Brenda Dennehy, thank you so much. Former 96FM producer and TV producer, now living in London, and podcaster on Left on red O-N-R-E-A-D well worth listening into always a joy to talk to her just some of your comments this morning on 083 396 96 96 uh, great to hear Brenda Dennehy's voice tell her I hope she's well Julie in y'all she sounds brim full of energy that's for sure Julie thank you for your comment they say Cork is full of single women and Galway is full of single men <laughs> that was the case years ago not sure if it's still true that's from Kate we were talking about um, your favourite cosmetics and and many of them, before they get to the uh, the shop shelves, are tested on animals in the early stages of production. Don't buy anything from China, this text says. They use slave labour for most of what they make. Test on animals, then import the animals for consumption. They also regularly harvest endangered animals for food or like rhino horns for their holistic medicine. I couldn't believe the Irish people would buy anything from them. I think a lot of houses would be particularly empty if we stopped buying everything from China and I think also that many of our phones that we use these days, the smartphones uh, you'd pretty much be void of communication sleeping kids this is, uh, we were talking earlier on um, about you know, trying to get kids into a kind of a regular framework and frame of mind particularly during the summer holidays Bernie says I think the problem is everything is laid on for them no housework very little walking if they are given physical jobs to do they'll sleep all right <laughs> an exclamation mark in relation to the Greek fires Declan says I was in similar situation with Ryanair over a flight to Italy during Covid flight went to Italy but we did not get on the flight so we lost all our money um, and that of course would be Ryanair's policy whereby if you don't turn up for the flight if the flight leaves and you're not on it you don't get any money back on the other hand if you are expecting to get on board the flight and the flight is cancelled that's a different situation retained firefighters john on uh, 33 euro an hour for going out to all accidents and saving lives and everything it's actually it's it's actually less it's one euro 33 an hour uh, the tds are getting over 100k and now we hear of all kinds of other people getting huge state salaries for non-essential jobs <clears throat> we would be lost without these fire people do we need to create a more positive culture around men men of old ages especially for young men and and boys irish examiner journalist jen hogan seems to think so and jen joins me now morning to you jen 
Morning, Gareth. How are you? Very well, thank you. This is an interesting one because I think men have been taking the they've been taking the bullet for a long time, right across the board. Like you know, a lot of people think that men need to step up to the table, step up to the mark. Isn't that isn't that so? Yeah, and look, to be honest, to an extent, I agree with that. Um, And it is the case that violence is a problem um, among men, and that's, you know, against women, children, but also against other men. Um, So, you know, violence among men is something we need to be very, um, you know, clear about, and we need to tackle it, we need to talk about it, we need to equip um, boys and men, you know, with strategies on how to, to cope with um, violence or any kind of sort of, you know, like when they hear anything inappropriate or anything offensive to make sure that they know how to identify it and how to speak up. All of that is really important. But I think I was writing really about balancing that with positivity and making sure that young boys particularly don't feel too much of a weight on their shoulders and that they don't associate being male with being something bad, you know, because mm. our expectations form us. Um, like I say in the article, if you're told from a young age that there is something inherently wrong with you just because you are male, then, you know, if anything, we're going to continue the cycle of violence, you know, rather than change things. So I see so many amazing men, like I have so many amazing men in my life. Um, and I just think the more and more we talk about them and we put them up, actually, as opposed to the likes of Andrew Tater, you know, like I'm so sick of seeing his face. Like I want to mm. see um, celebratory articles about men, about male teachers, male coaches, fathers, um, all those brilliant men that we have in our lives. And I think that that's actually going to be probably more effective in the long run Um then continuously focusing on the negatives. Do, do you think masculinity, Jen, is is being confused with misogyny these days? I think, yes, that's it. Like, you know, the, the go-to association now, I mean, I mean, even that term toxic masculinity has been really, really damaging. Um, and, and, you know, boys are so aware of it, particularly. So we have to start talking about all the great things about being a man as, a, as distinct to being a woman. So I speak in the article about kind of separating strengths and violence, you know, like we have to be, you know, th- th- there's wonderful things about being a strong, competitive man, you know, mm. um, that that are, are nothing but good, and 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 uh, that's so. Uh, you know, it's wonderful to see men who are caring um, and are in those roles, but it's equally important that we see men in more stereotypically male roles that are, you know, caring, but also obviously non-violent, um, responsible, you know, wonderful people, and of course mm. there are many men that fit that bill. But but as you um, say as you also say in the article, Jen, boys need to see men guiding, cooking, cleaning, nurturing. Nurturing is probably the uh, big one there, isn't it? Oh, it's the big one. And that's why I'm such a fan of male teachers, because we need more and more of them. We still have very few, particularly at primary level. And it's very rare to see men teaching the young, young kids. Um, and I think it's so important because that is a part of being a man too. You know, that is not just the preserve of women and it, and it needs to stop being that. And I do reference the, the recent survey, the Growing Up in Ireland survey. It's still 96% of the respondents were women, you know, um, in the role of primary caregiver. And we know that like one in four families is a single parent family in Ireland. And the vast, vast majority um, of those families uh, have mothers um so you know absent fathers is still an ongoing 
issue and of yeah. course that affects our boys and and so yes just having men involved particularly in the early years of a child's life it sets the man up as a role model as as somebody that that young boy wants to become mm. um so yeah and, getting and those men into those caring if if a young boy Sorry. look no that's okay john if, if a young boy looks to his dad and his dad is a misogynist and just for those who may not know misogyny how would you define it it's 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 a male dislike of women would that be the right way to put it yeah and i would say gareth like i don't tr- tend to look at social media all that much um but just looking at the responses to my article they were quite frightening there was a lot of men who were extremely angry that i would dare you know talk about this topic um and that's that's that is scary and unfortunately as a woman in in the media you know you come across that stuff a lot so it's it's i mean it is everywhere that that kind of hatred of women um but dislike do, of women but doesn't that doesn't that show you Jen why it's more important than ever that you write this article yes I think so but I also think that I have limited powers in a way I really do think it's down to our our men um, mm. and and how we speak about men and 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 the men that we really promote like incidentally I was listening to a very old Desert Island Disc interview with Gary Lineker a couple of days ago I love Desert Island Disc mm. and I just thought to myself like that man, like if I could get him on tap. Um, and it was when he was very young, he did the interview, but he was such, you could just, he, he talked about how he doesn't really get angry on the pitch. He doesn't get into arguments. That's just not him, but he's extremely competitive. He's extremely driven. And I just thought, you know, what a lovely interview for a boy to listen to. And um, that kind of a role model, they're the people, you know, that we, that we need to, to, to talk about and promote. And um, mm-hmm. yeah. So and uh, particularly like more recently um, and I love Desert Island Discs too it's wonderful but when you think of the tweet yeah. he put up there recently in relation to the BBC and the, the Tory party I mean the, the, yes. that literally turned media and broadcasting and the, the, the government I would imagine if they were to go for a general election well I know they'd lose a general election now anyway but they would have mm-hmm. they would have been annihilated if they would gone to the polls the following day such as the influence of Gary Lineker. Now, I don't believe that influence yeah. is because he's a, a footballer or possibly a pundit, but I think it's because of his likability factor. Would you agree? Absolutely. He is, he's likable. He's, he's got dignity. He's got integrity. He's a leader. Um, and that's what we want. He's, All children, he's a, not just boys, but yeah. you know what I mean? It's particularly good for boys to see him. But he's, 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 he's the essence of masculinity and, and you, you can't see any misogyny in the man. He probably doesn't know what the, the, the word means. He probably has never um, encountered it in his own personal life. But I, I'm fascinated by the reaction to the article you wrote in the Irish Examiner that men were furious with you. Is that because you've uncovered probably their greatest personal fear or inadequacy or their greatest weakness? Well, I imagine, to be honest, it might be that I mentioned Andrew Tate in the article yeah. and that's going to get the, the, his followers, um, that's going to link them to the article, you know, mm. um, and of George, course, Jordan then Peterson, it's, it's yeah. a, exactly Jordan Peterson as well. It's that us versus them. It's women versus men. It's that really, really unhelpful, um, you know, awful just narrative that we're, that we're all kind of exposed to now and um, but doesn't represent most men doesn't represent most women we're not interested in that conversation we're interested in societally accepting that violence is a huge and, and unfortunately growing problem and that we all need to work together to, to end it whatever our, our biological sex you know and um, 
but yeah, I just, it's, it's just, it's down to, I would say like, I am so, I, I live in an area where there's a lot of like football and GAA going on and the, the number of men that I see that give their evenings on a volunteer basis over to young people in the community. And I'm like, oh, I would just love to see more being said about those men. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm, I'm continually sort of just, you know, um, I respect them so much and I think they do so much. Um, teachers the same. Um and, and, and they are such wonderful role models. And we just I just think we need to put the spotlight on them a little bit more to counter the spotlight going in in less desirable directions. Yeah. And, and you often hear, if you've not often, all the time you hear where um, a young man is up in front of a judge for whatever the crime is and the free legal aid barrister pleads with the judge that the young man has come from a disadvantaged background. Uh, do, 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 do you think they need to stop doing that in court? Well, I don't. I don't know, Gareth. I mean, I, I suppose that the chances are, unfortunately, that if you, if well, I suppose it depends what we mean by disadvantaged. Um, well, if you do, if they if came you, from a home, yeah. Effectively, if you're responsible for the violence that you inflict on somebody else, it doesn't really matter in court about your background or your history. Surely, you you have to be found guilty. Uh, you've done the crime, so you have to do the time. Presumably, that would influence a lot of future generations and a lot of other men who were watching and listening. I think no I think I would probably have a more compassionate approach in that if this young boy let's say didn't have a father at home didn't have supports didn't have a role model it is far more likely that he's going to end up um, in this kind of a situation and so what we want to do is we want to go back and start where that where that man or teenager is a one or a two year old and we need to do our best as a society to ensure that that baby is supported and hopefully that that baby has a male role model in their lives we need to stop the cycle i think you know being you you can't treat someone independently of where they come from and what what has happened to them because you know research shows we know statistically how more likely that child is going to end up in in in, in a courtroom um so but it's about starting when they're small, making sure they have those role models and those supports, because you know, I don't, I don't believe anyway that any any child is bad. I, I believe that we all have potential, but what happens to us makes us, it affects us. Um, and I suppose I'm aware then that expectations also affect us. So our expectations of our young people need to be high. Um, and when you have low expectations for young people, um, and maybe particularly because they come from wherever, because this has happened to them. Um, that will that that will affect them. So always having high expectations, but also high supports. Um, I think that that's key. Mm. It's it, it's interesting. In, in in relation, we come back to this word again: nurturing. When 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 should that start? I, I presume at the earliest possible age. Well, that's it. We know, like, it's the earliest years. It's the first year of life, you know, really, that we want to make sure that we've parents who are free and able to spend time with their babies. And of course, our economic model makes that very, very difficult for parents. Um, but we know, like, our, our, their brains develop through movement, through socialization. Those, you know, spending time on, on a carpet with your baby that you can't, you can't do any better for them. But, um, sadly, parents, you know, more and more struggle to do that. So, um, my, my, I always believe it's in the first years of life. That's where we want. And that nurturing, and that's why I love, as I was saying, to see men in primary school, in those junior infants, senior infants classes, um, 
my husband is one. He's he's a primary school and he's he's going into the junior senior level. He's six foot four. He's going to be you know crouching down for the next few years with his <laughs> four or five yeah. year olds. But like I just think it is wonderful. Like it is it is so rebalancing in terms of how we look at men and women. Um, and you know. I, I, I am very passionate about it and I think that it, the more we are aware, I think men have even forgotten in a way that mm. they're they're as good as they are, you know, I think they, they, they don't get spoken about in these glowing terms enough and I think that the more we're aware of how we speak about men for younger men and boys, I think we just need to be more aware of it. So we do need to be careful when we're talking about male violence that we're not just leaving the conversation there and saying, yes, violence is a problem relating to men. We need to make sure we back it up with, you know, but there are wonderful men and, yeah. and, and men can be brilliant and you can be the solution rather than the problem. And they, they, the men can be the role model. And I think role model is something that has been pushed aside and it's gone by the wayside in, in recent years. I remember thinking when I was growing up that the greatest thing you could have would be a positive impression, in, 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 someone who's a role model who will lead you, who will direct you, who will guide you. Oh, it's, I think it's certainly in my life, I feel when I look back yeah. on my mentors, like they, they absolutely made me, they gave me the confidence, they, people who kind of see something in you and nurture it, mm. it's everything. Um, yeah. Yeah. It's great to talk to you, Jennifer. Thank you so much. Likewise. Thank you, Gareth. Take care. Jennifer Horgan there from the Irish Examiner. That article, by the way, is in Friday's Examiner, 21st of July. Uh, You'll get it online, uh, irishexaminer.com slash opinion. That's it. Today's show was edited by Emer O'Hay, produced and researched by Fergal Barry. Thank you to Wayne Hilton on the desk. We're back in the morning from nine. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work.